0: Thanks to everybody who listened and submitted feedback on last week's episode, part one of my chat with Graham Townsend. Now I know you're thinking, I I don't need to know anything else about Graham Townsend. Well, you're wrong. Because, wait, there's more. Here's part two with Graham.
1: Nystrom, Meister, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh, my. Did Nick plant one on c card Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. A spinning, spinning. Who's he going to go after? The butt drop, the butt.
0: Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lizzito. So I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope that uh, if you wanted to have an isolated Thanksgiving, that you did. And I hope that if you wanted to have a larger-scale Thanksgiving, that you did also. It's not for me to judge. And uh, I hope whatever you decided to do, you had a wonderful time. I know personally, uh, while I didn't watch much football, uh, it was nice to see the redskins beat the cowboys it's always nice when the cowboys lose i mean let's face it unless you're a cowboys fan but um you know redskins uh redskins took care of them and uh, that was nice and i the lions played houston i think i think houston won but um we spent it just the four of us we we ate some good food we watched some movies and uh it was just a wonderful day uh just a relaxed day there's uh very few days now where the four of us Are actually together and someone's not working or going to school or anything like that so the fact that the four of us didn't have anything planned that day and we could just kind of veg out and enjoy each other's company and like i said watch some movies eat some food it was uh it was a wonderful day for me and and uh, i hope that uh you people had a good thanksgiving also so um let's get right down to it shall we this is episode 40 well, part two of episode 40, and this is where uh, I may have shortchanged myself because this is probably episode like 52 or 53, but because the multiple part episodes, I, I've ne- I didn't make, their in- make them individual numbered episodes. Easy for me to say, right? Um I'm only up to number 40, but I think this is actually like the 52nd or 53rd episode, but let's keep it as is, you know, I, uh, I'm a, I am i do not like change. So this is part two of episode 40, my chat with Graham Townsend. And, um, the feedback on episode one was unbelievable. Uh, I knew you kind of know when you're talking to someone, um, what kind of, what kind of feedback you're going to get. And, uh, I, you know, I've been fortunate like, like, um, you know, Darren says a fourth line voice about my show and Alex's show and his show We're the mom and pop shops of the uh, podcast world. We don't have the numbers or the following of uh, the big boys and that's fine with me. And, um, I know that, uh, there, there's a, a group of you out there that really enjoy the, uh, the content that I bring. And, and, uh, I knew when I was speaking to Graham that this was going to be a hit, um, He's just—he was an unbelievable guest, and um, you know, I think this is probably the first show that he's done. I don't know if it's the first show he's ever done, probably not. But um, I think he's going to be on a lot more in the near future on a lot more shows, and uh, and uh, definitely, uh, regardless of the show, regardless whether you listen or not, if you see Graham is uh, appearing on any podcast, definitely make sure to tune in because I know I will. So this is part two. And uh, I think that, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I know I did. So uh, stay tuned for that. Just let's get a few things out of the way first. Uh, Whichever platform you are listening to this on, is that whichever platform? Yeah. Well, whatever, however you're listening to this, please subscribe to the show. And if you could like, rate, and review the show also, uh, helps it out, helps grow the show um, slow and steady wins the race, right? I mean, uh, I don't have the, uh, I, like I said, I don't have the following of some of the bigger names. I don't have a name, uh, in the industry, whatever. And that's, like I said, that's fine with me, but of course, uh, I'd like more people to listen. Uh, no matter, no matter how many people listen, I always want one more, right? You always want, you always want more, I guess, but, uh, but it's and again, it's not really for me, it's because of the amazing stories that these guys tell so uh if you could subscribe like rate, and review the show uh it will help uh, it'll help grow the show so uh I appreciate that if you could take a minute to do that, that'd be great if you're on Twitter, as you know, if you're a listener, I have two Twitter handles at Joe underscore lazito, which is my personal Twitter and at Kali Sinbin pod so uh check those out on Twitter hit that uh, follow button I will follow you back and um nothing too serious on either one of those uh the uh the the podcast account excuse me god my eggs are scrambled today uh the podcast account has uh i own content i own birthdays i own fight pictures uh i've been posting some retro well i guess in that retro they are vintage pictures of myself from, uh, the nineties with, uh, various enforcers, um, back when I would buy those little, uh, disposable cameras and, uh, you know, I stumbled across, uh, an envelope of these, these photos in there. Uh, yeah. I have awesome hair in there. So, uh, if you like that stuff, definitely, uh, that, that stuff, that's the kind of stuff you'll see on the, uh, on the podcast, uh, Twitter and not on my regular Twitter. It's really not much beyond sports. Uh, nothing. Like I said, it's, it's all pretty lighthearted stuff. You're not going to get a lot of the nonsense you get on probably a lot of your other friends' uh, uh, social media. Similarly uh, to the Twitter account for the show, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast and Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So I know not everybody is on all these platforms, so whichever platform you're on or if you are on all of them, please give it a follow or... Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you, I guess it's follow and, uh, and I'll follow you back. Um, if you have a page on Facebook that you want me to like, like my page, I'll like yours back in return. You know, there's enough goodness to go around. So let's, uh, let's try to help each other out. You know, um, I forgot to say what I normally say. If this is your first time joining me, welcome. Actually, if this is your first time, Please go back to the last episode, listen to part one with Graham, and then come back and listen to this. Uh, and then when you're done with that, go back into the uh, into the archives and check out my previous episodes. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. If you're here, you're here for a reason. So you probably will enjoy the uh, past episodes as well. And if you are returning, welcome back. Happy to have you back here. When you go on my social media. You will see that I do have merchandise available with my uh, logo, which I love. I'm staring at it right now. I have a giant flag hanging in the room here with my logo on it. And no, I'm not an egomaniac. I really didn't pay attention to the dimensions when I ordered it. I thought I was ordering something about 20% of the size of this, but uh, it's not too bad. Anyway, the logo is pretty great. It is teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen chronicles hyphen merch. And, uh, or scroll down to the bottom of this episode description, and there is a direct link to the merchandise store where you can get all your Coliseum Chronicles merchandise for the holidays. I do every week, I give a listener exclusive discount. This week's discount, 20% off everything in the store. The code is JIGS, J I G G S. And if you're an Islanders fan, I did not need to spell that for you. And I'll, tell you why uh the code this week is jigs in a few moments but uh 20 off everything in the store i guess uh this is cyber monday or shop small shop local so um you know logo is pretty awesome your kids will like it if you're a fan of the show I shouldn't have said fan of the show. I don't like that. I just uh, like to have friends fan. I don't know. It just sounds weird to me, but uh, definitely if you, uh, if you purchase something, that would be great. Uh, any way to promote the show is uh, I appreciate it. And like I said, the logo is awesome. The logo. I wouldn't be touting this logo if it was something I drew. Although if I could draw like this, maybe I would, I don't know. This is uh pretty insane. Joe Marisich. He is a local Long Island artist you can reach Joe at graphicsjoker on twitter or at loudegg.com joe as i say every week is insanely talented this is uh once you get to be a certain age um i guess when you're younger maybe you're envious and then once you get to be a certain age you're just like i don't think you, i don't think you're envious anymore i think you just really start appreciating things and uh, i don't exactly remember when that started for me but when i see people like joe and the stuff that that they create it is just unbelievable to me like i do i wish i could draw like this yeah fuck that would be amazing to be able to do something like this but i'm not envious of it i could just sit back and appreciate how talented this man is and uh please if you have any sort of project i know the holidays are coming i don't know what kind of schedule he is but if you have any sort of project that you'd like uh personalized for someone that you love definitely hit up joe because the t- Artistic genius is uh, putting it lightly. Definitely hit Joe up. I'm sure if he can make it happen, he will for your holiday uh, presents for your loved ones. So, Graphics Joker on Twitter, loudegg.com. Well, as we all know, this past Thursday was Thanksgiving. And if you're like me, you stuffed your face. And if you're like me, you don't need it to be Thanksgiving to do that either. But if you are looking to shed some of those Thanksgiving pounds, and as you know, the upcoming weeks, You are going to eat a lot of crap with the holidays coming up. The best way to get in shape if you live on Long Island or in one of the surrounding boroughs, Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. They're open seven days a week. They have classes for men, for women, for kids. Private sessions are also available. Professional fighters like John Volante, Gregor Gillespie, Andre Harrison, Chris Algieri, Adam Kownachki train there. And hundreds of people, regular Joes like myself, have walked through those doors it's It's such a great environment it's it's a place it's a real life environment you know it's no there's no pretense there and uh it's just a fun time it makes you want to go back there it makes you want to go work out it makes you want to get in shape. The gym is located at twenty five fifty one Merrick Road in Belmore. Phone number is 516-679-5997. The website is com. When you contact them, please ask for Keith Trimble. Keith is the best trainer in the business. Keith is a good friend of mine. Uh, I mean, really, he's, just, he's a great guy. He really is. He's just an old school guy. And, um, you know, he cares about his clients. He cares about his friends. You cannot go wrong training with Keith. And, um, he's, he's one of the owners. So, uh, he has a vested interest in you and your fitness and, um, you know, it's his, it's his business on the line. So he, he cares about you. So definitely ask for Keith Mention that you heard about the gym on the show and you will get one free class for yourself or your kid or your loved one or whatever. It doesn't matter. Reach out to them. Tell them you heard about the gym on the show. Tell them that you'd like to get your free class and then Keith will take it from there. Belmore kickboxing and MMA, train where the champions train. Now, if you like this show, chances are you're familiar with the shows I'm about to tell you. But just in case you're not, the OG of the enforcer podcasting business is Darren from Saskatoon. His show is the fourth line voice. Now, this is very important. Darren is on the Hockey Podcast Network. They have a ton of shows on there. Uh, Darren's show along with Terry Ryan's show happened to be my favorites. Uh, I never miss an episode. If you subscribe to the hockey podcast network, every show they do ends up in your inbox. And, uh, that's for you to pick and choose. Darren does two shows a week and, uh, he has a show. Well, there should be a show coming out today, which is Sunday. I'm recording on a Sunday, even though you're probably listening on Monday. Uh, I don't know which episode is coming out today, but he did post something yesterday about, uh upcoming episodes and one of the episodes which i hope is coming out on wednesday is with uh, a person you've heard me mention before his name is yuka yuka is a mutual friend of darren and myself from finland and yuka has been involved in uh, in hockey for a very long time and i know what you're thinking you know finland and you know everyone it's funny because finland you go finland sweden and they i don't know if they still do but like they hate each other um but i know the whole european thing i get it but yuka is uh Yuka's more North American than many of the North Americans around here uh, today and uh, in terms of his uh, hockey preferences. And um, Yuka has a really – he doesn't have an interesting story. Yuka has a lot of interesting stories. So um, I really recommend that – I mean, I recommend you check out all Darren's shows. But if the episode with Yuka is the one coming out this Wednesday, I really recommend you listening to it. I can't wait. I've been busting Yuka's balls – to get on Darren's show for months now. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, cause I ha I don't have to deal with the nine hour time difference between uh, Finland and Saskatoon, but they made it work. And, um, I really can't wait for this episode to come out. So I cannot recommend enough this episode that is coming out. And, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully it lives up to my advance billing and, and I'm pretty sure that it will. So definitely check, well, check out, like I said, check out all of Darren's shows, but do not miss, the episode that he has coming out with, uh, with you, a lot of interesting stuff that will be discussed in that episode. Also, if you are listening to this, if you listen to Darren's show, you probably in your life have watched a hockey video on YouTube, hockey fight video on YouTube. And if you have, chances are it was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel, but in case you haven't definitely go on YouTube, look for fourth line voice, hit that subscribe button, and fall down the rabbit hole for a couple of hours. He's got, uh, I think, over 2,200 fights on there. And uh, if you like hockey fighting, chances are your favorite guy is on there too. So definitely uh, definitely check out the show and check out the YouTube channel. One of Darren's latest guests was Alec Olin-Salin, the host of the Five for Fighting podcast, which has been on hiatus for a bit now. But if what Alec said is true, and I have no reason to doubt him, uh, he should be releasing a new episode shortly. He has been very busy, and uh, he's also been recovering from COVID. But he sounds great, and um, sounds like he's ready to go again. So if you haven't listened to the Fight for Fighting podcast, definitely uh, take this opportunity. Go listen to some past episodes and get ready for the new ones because uh, I think they're uh, they're headed your way. If you're on Facebook, Alec is the boss of two very good pages on Facebook. Uh, the Enforcer Appreciation page uh, over twelve or thirteen thousand members. Lots of enforcers on there. And listen, I'm not going to lie. Seems like lately there's an influx of idiots on that page. The good thing about the page, however, is they kind of flush those guys out pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, I don't know what it. I get, it's like everything else. You know, once something gets a certain a certain level of. Um, I don't even want to say notoriety, but, uh, attention, let's say, uh, you're going to draw from all, all walks. And and lately it just seems like there's a bunch of idiots on there, but Alex on top of it and his, uh, his foot soldiers there are on top of it too, so they kind of weed out the idiots. But um, don't let that deter you, because there's plenty. There are some uh, former players on there that are very active, and, and they really, if you're a fan of the role, they provide an insight that you just can't get anywhere else, and nor would you want to, because why not hear it right from the horse's mouth? So definitely check out the Enforcer Appreciation Page. Also, Alec recently started a QSPHL slash LNAH Jersey and Equipment Page on facebook if those letters do not mean anything to you they may when i tell you that is the infamous quebec league quebec league's known to have a scrap or two maybe not so much anymore but back in the in the heyday um it was uh it was a pretty violent and physical league and um one of the things that uh they always did they had these really interesting jerseys And, um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the jerseys. I'll be honest back in the day, I didn't really follow it too much. And I think part of the reason why was I would get all these tapes from the league. Well, not from the league, from fellow collectors, I would get all these tapes, but they didn't have lists and They're all, all the commentary was in French or there was no commentary at all. So I didn't know who I was watching. So while the fights were very entertaining, I just, it was hard for me to follow along and I never really got into it too much. But I think with the state of the game now, uh, I'm taking, uh, more of an interest in some of the, uh some of the old school uh, Quebec league stuff. I know I have some DVDs on the way of a few players like Joel Terrio, someone I've been a fan of for a long time. So, um, so I'm looking forward to watching some of that stuff, but if you're interested in, um, you know, game use jerseys equipment and uh, you're not afraid of the old Quebec league stuff, definitely check out Alex uh, QSPHL slash LNAH jersey and equipment page on Facebook. So, Segwaying from that i want to uh just say thank you to a very good friend of mine my friend anthony uh if you follow me on social media you know that i've been posting a lot lately of uh stuff i've added to my uh, game worn uh collection game use collection uh i've known anthony a long time he's a good guy he's old school like me and um uh recently uh we hooked up and you know, I have said it a million times before about, uh, the collection that I used to have and why I had to get, uh, why I had to sell a lot of it. And, um, uh, you know, in case you haven't, uh, in case you didn't listen, let's say, uh, at one point I had over 600 enforcer sticks. I probably had 40, 50 jerseys, uh, multiple pairs of gloves and helmets and everything. And as I've said before, uh, real life comes into play. And, uh, years ago, uh, my wife got, uh, T-boned by a car, uh, car got totaled. Uh, we needed a car and, um, just, you know, over the years at various points, um, you know, like I say, real life gets in the way. You need groceries, you need this, you need that. And, um, I wish I never had to sell any of it, but I did. And, uh, and that's okay. It was, I'm lucky that I had stuff to fall back on. Uh, but over the last few years, I've been trying to rebuild my collection and, uh, I've, I've pretty much limited it to guys uh, with Islander ties. So it's not even, uh, not even try to rebuild a collection of just enforcers. I mean, honestly, I could never rebuild what I had if I even, if I, well, I could, if I had unlimited resources, let's put it that way. Uh, but I don't. So it's easier to try to rebuild and just, uh, keep the focus on Islander people. And, uh, Anthony had a bunch of stuff and, um you know, I'm just going to say it. He, he gave me a shit ton of stuff. He didn't want a penny for it. And, uh, it was like, wow. Like, what do you say to that? You know, it's just, um, you know, he's a great guy and, uh, he knows my situation and, um, you know, I was fully prepared to give him something, you know, I even at one point said, do you, do you accept layaway? And, uh, and it was funny. He was always kind of evasive when I would, uh, when I would bring up money and, uh, you know, when we hooked up, I didn't know what he was going to say. And he's just like, you know what, dude, just take it. And, uh, it really touched me. You know, I know, uh, you know, big sensitive teddy bear here, but, uh, you know, Anthony's a great guy and, uh, you know, he listened. So I'm just going to say, and Anthony, thank you so much. And, uh, I should be getting a few more things from him this week because, uh, again, he's just a phenomenal human being. And, um, I hope one day I'm able to repay you in some way, shape or form and, uh, just thank you again, Anthony. You're you're the fucking man. Thank you so much. So, just a few more things before I I uh, get to the uh, the Graham Townsend episode. Um, I think what my wife and I have been doing is probably what everyone's been doing, right? It's probably just watching a lot of TV, hitting up Netflix. We've watched uh, we've watched so many things on Netflix in the last six seven months. It's insane. And we started watching this series last night called Between. And, uh, I think it, well, I, I know it was filmed in Canada, uh, and I looked it up and it was filmed in, I think 2015, 2016. And, um, it's pretty interesting given the situation that we're in now, I don't want to give away too much. Uh, what I will tell you is, um, I think the biggest star in the show is, uh, uh, she's, you know, it's, it, you think I would at this point. Um, (laughs) make a note of this shit, but there's a girl in it who was on a Disney show that I know at least my youngest son used to watch like, I don't know, 14, 13, 14 years ago. I don't remember her name, but, uh, she was on a Disney show. She's probably the biggest name in it. I don't know what she's done since then. Uh, there's a lot of, it appears, I would imagine there's probably a lot of young Canadian actors and actresses in it. Um. Just, just watch it. It's not like, don't watch it and go, wow, some of this, I mean, some of the acting is, eh, you know, it's okay. But, uh, what are you watching Netflix for now? Anyway, you want it to pass the time. You want it to take your mind off shit. And, uh, for everyone that's sick of COVID and, uh, all this other bullshit that's going on, it's, uh, it's interesting because it involves sort of an epidemic and, uh, it's not a pandemic. It's limited to this, uh, fictitious town, uh, called Pretty Lake. So, um, I would recommend it. It's, uh, I think it was on for, uh, two seasons. I think it's six episodes a season. Uh, we're almost done with episode one. It's, it's pretty interesting, especially given the fact that it's not something that was filmed now after COVID it was filmed, you know, like I said, four or five years ago, pre COVID. So, uh, but there's some interesting stuff in it and I, I can't give a spoiler alert because I don't know how it ends, but I know a lot of it has to do with government and, Uh, you know just stuff that i think people can relate to nowadays so it's called between and uh it's pretty interesting now again if you blow through it and think it sucks i don't know like i said i think we've watched five of 12 episodes so uh but it's pretty interesting something else we watched this week uh kevin hart has a comedy special on there now i i love stand-up comedy um Well, I don't know if I love stand-up comedy anymore because of the way people are where everyone's afraid of hurting everyone's feelings. Um, I like like stand-up comedy. I don't need raunchy stand-up comedy where you talk about different things that, you know, that's not, the raunchy stuff isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but I don't mind inappropriate stuff. I, I don't mind that at all. I think it's funny and I think they're jokes and i know some stand-up comics and i and and my heart goes out to them because god forbid you had any sort of funny material now you have to kind of you you have to do one of two things you just don't give a fuck and you're gonna say it and uh, then wait for the fucking sky to fall with all the people that you offend because everyone's so fucking sensitive um or you clean it up and then who knows if it's even funny anymore but kevin hart did something my wife said oh well a lot of people have said, Oh, Kevin Hart's got a new special. And when we both like him, I think he's really funny. Um, ah, you know, for me, per- my wife laughed a lot for me personally. Uh, I found one thing I found very annoying. Um, and listen, I, I don't know a lot about Kevin Hart. I think he started on YouTube and just blew up from there. And if that's the case, fuck more power to him. That's fantastic. I, like I said, I know some stand-up comics and, uh, I know it's such a tough business. I mean, it takes balls to get up there and on stage and really put yourself out there. And, you know, for every Kevin Hart, there's probably 10,000 people who struggle in the business and eventually get out or just, you know, do it forever and don't make any sort of money on it, whatever. But, uh, there, there were probably six, seven, eight times where he just alluded to how successful he is. And I don't know, like I, I, I try to be humble. And I try to live my life that way. I I don't, everybody knows that Kevin Hart is successful. Like if you're successful, if you can say successful, like obviously I can't, but if you're successful, I don't know. Like, I don't need to hear that you're successful from you. Obviously Kevin Hart is successful. Um, I just sort of irritated me. And again, maybe it's, you know, my age, I don't know, but, um, I know you're successful. I don't need you to make like sort of undercover i'm i'm rich i'm successful remarks in your act just i don't know like he's got so much funny shit and we know you're successful and i don't know if it actually was done in his house this this special but if it was done in your house And that's actually a room in your house or your basement or something. Yes, we can definitely tell you're successful. So I don't know. Like I said, I don't begrudge the guy at all, especially if, if that's how he made it, like just starting out on YouTube and becoming this worldwide phenomenon. I I'm, I'm thrilled for the guy. That's fucking great. I mean, it's really, he's, he should be an inspiration to a lot of people. Um, But, you know, and if you watch it, you'll, you'll hear it. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm overreacting. My wife really didn't seem to have an issue with it, but, um, I don't know. It just didn't seem necessary. And as far as comparing that special to his previous stuff, I don't think it was as funny, but what I will say is, um, I guess he just turned 40, 41, and he talks about certain things for men around that age and like talking about comparing, uh, men and women of that age and uh, talking about, uh, one of the, the thing I really laughed at the most was when he talks about, uh, the group texts that men have with their friends and what women think might be on there at once you hit a certain age and what the reality is. And that was probably my favorite part of the special. So, um, I'm not saying to watch it or not to watch it. I, I would say, watch it. Let me know if, uh, if it annoys you the stuff, you know, just talking about how successful he is, um, as much as it annoyed me and again it's all relative it's not like i sat here and stewed over it i just made notes about it and uh, about what i was going to talk about now it's not like i'm sitting here going to fucking thing i'm still mad about it no i mean i'm not it just at the time i i found it irritating but like i said when he got to the part of the the act where he talks about the stuff i just mentioned i thought that was really funny but you know listen kevin hart uh probably one of the funniest people i've ever heard in my life so uh so good for him and check it out i, I just think uh and, and again i I think a guy like kevin hardy he's in a tough spot because kevin Hart has a lot of funny shit in his catalog but who knows what you can or cannot say anymore so guys like that you know listen you have my respect because you can't just be funny anymore you have to be funny and also worry about who you're going to offend so uh if, if anyone out there is listening that's a stand-up comic and i know i do have a few Uh, listeners who are are stand-up comics you have my respect because i can't imagine i could never imagine doing what you do going up on stage and putting yourself out there like that and now i definitely can't do it because you have to worry about being funny and being offensive so um so more power to you you have my respect so um the reason that the discount code this week for the merchandise is jigs is because jigs just celebrated a birthday over the weekend. And jigs is one of those people. If you're a hockey fan, you don't need the last name, but it's jigs McDonald. Jigs McDonald is the voice of so many people's youth. Uh, just hockey fandom. I mean, everything that, uh, I remember growing up as far as the Islanders go is narrated by jigs McDonald. And, um, just well, just a legend, you know, I, I I, think everyone probably feels that way if you've been a hockey fan or a sports fan from a young age. Like, you know, if you're a Dodgers fan, I mean, I'm not even a Dodgers fan. I heard Vince Scully once a week on Channel 4 on the Baseball Game of the Week, and he's the voice I most identify with, more so than any of the Braves announcers or anyone else in baseball. Um, you know, I heard Vince Scully once a week. I can't imagine how how amazing it must have been if you're a Dodgers fan and you heard Vince Scully every night of the week, that must've been just unbelievable to hear someone like that. And Jiggs is that for Islander fans. And, um, he's just, to me, he's the best. And, um, I was fortunate enough to meet, uh, meet Jiggs once. Didn't really have too much of a conversation with him. He was doing a bunch of things, but, um, had time to sign an autograph for me. Maybe we spoke for two or three minutes and it was just awesome to talk to someone. And, you know, like I say, if you take a second right now, think of a particular Islander highlight in your head. If you're of a certain age and chances are the highlight you're thinking of was narrated by Jiggs McDonald. So, uh, he had a happy birth. I hope he had a happy birthday this weekend. And, uh, Jigs is the discount code this weekend because, uh, he's a legend. And, um, I love him. I love him. So happy birthday, Jiggs. Don't forget now this week. Uh, when's the first Tuesday. So this Tuesday. You can get your Islanders reverse retro jersey, please. If you're one of those people who was complaining about the fishermen not being there and said, I'm never buying this reverse retro jersey, stick to your guns. Don't buy it. Don't be like these celebrities who were going to move to Canada. And then of course, never move to Canada, which is good for Canada, of course. But if you say you're not going to buy one, don't buy one because I'll tell you what, My wife saw one the other day and she said, you know, she's not going to get one. I don't think she, she has any interest in getting one, but she said they look really nice. She saw them all done up with name and number and stuff. And she said, they look really nice. And I don't, I don't think she has any interest in it, um, in getting one. But, uh, if you said you're not going to get one, don't get one. Don't go back on what you said. You know, just stick to your guns. Don't get one. You know, just go buy one of those dorky fisherman jerseys and, you know, wear your wool hat in July and, um, complain about it more on social media. But for those of you who want to get one like myself, remember Tuesday, December 1st, they are available. I don't know everywhere they're going to be available, but I know that the uh, team store at the rink is going to have them. So, uh, I would think, you know, everyone's like, well, maybe I should sit on it. Cause there's so many people whining about how they hate it. They hate it. I'm just telling you. I don't have any stake in the team store game, uh, money game or anything like that, or profits. I'm just telling you, it's a beautiful Jersey and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it sells out. So if you really want one, I would go grab one. And if you complained about it, don't buy one, stick to your guns. All right. For probably for once in your life, stick to your guns and, uh, and don't buy one final two points. Uh, good luck in life to Johnny Boychuk, Johnny, uh, Well, I I was going to say retired, but he didn't retire and he, he's smart not to retire. He retires. He leaves a lot of money on the table. So the Islanders are going to have to do something with him, put him on long-term injured reserve or something. But, um, we've seen the last of Johnny Boychuk in an Islander uniform. And and I would imagine in any hockey uniform, um, you know, he had to make a decision that, uh, I'm sure was gut-wrenching for him and, um, you can't screw with your vision. You definitely can't do that. And, um, you know, Johnny is uh, stepping away from hockey. Dude's been nothing but awesome for the Islanders. Uh, you know, the day that the Islanders acquired Johnny Boychuk and Nick Letty probably uh, reminded, I know it reminded me of when all of a sudden the Islanders get, um, Michael Pekka and Chris Osgood. And, um, at the time I didn't like the trade, but, uh, I still don't like the trade, but even, you know, you get, uh, Ash and, uh, all of a sudden kind of doormats. And now you're throwing in guys like, uh, like yashin and pekka and osgood and uh a coin and you know all of a sudden you're getting these names and um garth went out and got uh johnny boychuk and nick letty i think within an hour of each other and it was kind of like whoa these guys are uh pretty good players and um and they've been great for the Islanders since they got him and unfortunately uh johnny boychuk's career uh came to an end this week and you know uh what can you say about the guy just uh been total total warrior for the islanders and uh you know, good good team guy, you know, fantastic player and uh I wish him nothing but the best. So uh not that he listens, but uh if he did, if he accidentally tuned into this and heard this, Johnny Boychuk, best of luck with everything. Uh you're still a very young man, you got the rest of your life. So uh take care of yourself. And um again, no news on the Matt Martin watch. Um the the one thing that the Johnny Boychuk situation may help with is uh clearing up some money for matt barzell and i i am of the belief that once the matt barzell signing comes down that the uh, ufa signings will be announced so maybe uh the uh, johnny boychuk situation will lead into the matt barzell situation which will lead into the unrestricted free agent signing uh, situations being uh solidified i don't want to say finalized because i guess technically they can't be finalized yet but i'm sure that You know, everybody knows shit happens, even if it's not announced. So no news on Matt Martin. But again, like I said, I think uh, the fact that he has not signed anywhere to me means that he's coming back here, but uh, I can't uh, can't be official and uh, I have no idea. So uh, hopefully, like like I think I've been saying for the last two months, hopefully there's some clarity on the uh, Matt Martin situation very shortly. But anyway, that's all I have for you uh, as far as my preamble. And, uh, you, uh, I'm sure sh- you came here to listen to part two of Graham Townsend anyway. So, uh, so here it is folks. Uh, thank you again for everyone who listened to part one. Here's part two of my chat with Graham Townsend. You brought up your book and I'm sure this is going to be in your book, but do you remember where you were February 2nd, 1991?
1: Yeah, I scored my first goal. Oh At no, the sorry, end- my first, that was my first game.
0: No, that was your first sorry. goal at the at Pittsburgh in the do you against oh, Wendell sorry. Young.
1: Sorry, yeah, okay, that, that's my dad's birthday. I'm sorry, yeah, okay. I <laughs> my dad's birthday. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah,
0: do you remember got, the goal?
1: Uh, yeah, it was it was against Pittsburgh? Um, uh, who's the goalie? Wendell Young. Frank, Wendell Young. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I thought it was Frank Peter Angel. Yeah, it was Wendell Young. Okay, yeah, it was off a rebound. I think. Um, I think it was. Uh, it was. Uh, what's his face? There. Um, uh, Al Peterson took a shot off the half wall. And I got the rebound and just put it put it in the uh, middle of the net. Yeah, that was my first goal. February 2nd, my dad's birthday. That's that's right now. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I got back to the hotel. I got back to the Sinesta. My mm-hmm. wife um, at the time, actually, she was my girlfriend at the time. And um, she'd come down to see me at the hotel that weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the Pittsburgh game was basically, we went the night before. We came right back after the game. I think it was an afternoon game. And, oh, yeah. And that happened to be the game where Yager got his first hat trick. So he kind of upstaged me.
0: Oh, they always do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's some, some some kid named Jaggers. Uh, you know, some Jagger kid with long hair got his uh, first hat. Selfish. Yeah, Very yeah, selfish. Was, yeah, his first hat trick. So we ended up losing. We lost 5-2 that game. Mm. I didn't even get the fuck. I don't know why. Was get so, out of here. I, you know what? Honestly, man, I was pissed off we lost and didn't yeah. even ask. So we get back to the hotel, and my wife had, I had the chef in the hotel make me this um, this cheese plate. It was this big hunk of, hunk of cheese like a brie. In yeah. A big circle and had a had the the the, the spoked bee logo in, made out of olives. Oh like wow! Olives. So she yeah, so, so that was. She said, "Congratulations on your first goal." So they, I didn't even get the puck, man. A oh, few man. years later, I contacted the Pittsburgh Penguins and asked them to send me a puck. So they did. <laughs> I got you. Very good.
0: Uh, yeah. Yager probably has it. It was probably the third goal of his hat trick, and they didn't change <laughs> the puck out. He probably has yeah. it somewhere. <laughs> uh, he probably has a room of pucks. He probably couldn't find it if you needed him to find it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um you had two fights that year. Uh, one was against Randy McKay, but the second fight is really, is uh, actually I'm going to set the scene. So that was at the Coliseum and yeah. uh, you fought Kenny Baumgartner, who his run with the Islanders was, was pretty amazing. I mean, bombers everywhere he played, he was tough, but his run with the Islanders was crazy. So you fought Kenny Baumgartner. And then later in the game, uh he almost killed Craig Janney with a check. Now I've, I've been told a story which I'm hoping you can either confirm or deny now. I've been told that in between periods uh you guys in the locker room were kind of figuring out well we, obviously we have to go after Kenny now because he almost killed Craig Janney and I was told that you were you were ready to go him again and Shane Stevenson stepped up and said no I want him I want him and uh <laughs> Shane won and I put that in quotes he won the opportunity to uh avenge uh, bomber uh, to avenge uh Craig Janney against bomber, and obviously it didn't go his way. But I know Shane Stevenson's a tough guy, but is that what happened?
1: Yeah, how do you get all that info? That's amazing, you do some, that's that's incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so like, we, well, it was discussed, you know, we're gonna have to go after this guy. it wasn't discussed as to who was gonna do it because yeah. I think so. Before that game, I gotta tell you a funny story about that because this is gonna set it up. So, I'm in the locker room, and uh getting dressed and, and and then in comes uh knuckles right mm-hmm. and knuckles nylon you have so people who don't understand who don't understand how important tough guys are have never been on a hockey team yeah he walked in that room and all he said was hey guys how's it going and i grew 10 feet mm-hmm. so he just fills the room with he gives you so much freaking confidence it's unbelievable so he grabs the program, he grabs the stat sheet, right? The, uh, the house sports data mm-hmm. thing. And he's reading, it. he goes, and I think he had at the time, I want to say he had like 233 penalty minutes. I can't remember whatever it was. And he goes, Hey guys, we've got two games, two games left in the season. You think I can get to 300 pems before the season's over? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yeah, sure you can. Knox. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to try. So I think by the time uh, this incident happened, he's already kicked out of the outdoors game. He's, he had like, I think he had like, 30 minutes or something stupid that yeah, game i think he, i think
0: he fought chanel maybe once or twice in that game
1: yeah so mm-hmm. he got he got kicked out so by the time it's, now it's being discussed it was, someone's got to answer the bell here so finally there's a face-off in our zone on the right wing side milbury kicks me in the butt says get out there mm-hmm. so i go okay I guess i'm guess i gonna have to fight bomber now mm-hmm. so i guess something happened where the puck was dropped and it went out of out of bounds like right away over the glass mm-hmm. so all of a sudden shane comes out he taps me in the ass goes hey boomba i got him i got him and he tells bob sweeney to go to the bench so he just takes it he takes a face off right he loses it on purpose it goes right to bomber bomber takes a shot on neck and shane goes bomber let's go bomber kind of look I, I was skating right beside shane i was right there mm-hmm. and uh, and he goes no bomber i'm serious let's go so bomber drops the gloves and I, I was standing five feet away yeah and the first couple punches connected he was a lefty yep just split shane's head wide open Mm -hmm. and uh so shane finished the fight it gets broken up his helmet's on the ice i go to pick up the helmet and you know the 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 the, uh, tan color foam that's in there
0: yeah
1: red every inch of it is just completely red it looked like a freaking scene from carrie (laughs) and i remember almost puking like oh yeah so i pick his helmet up and so that so they both get tossed and the game's over and so now we're on the plane right we're flying back to boston his eye is swollen shut, and, he, and we're sitting beside each other. He goes, hey, uh, Graham, we both got to feel pretty good about ourselves, eh? We fought the toughest guy in the league. They're going to keep us up for sure, aren't they? I look at the kid. and go, Are you kidding me, man? We're going right back to the minors as soon as, as we're done. <laughs> so, so then we get sent back to the minors. So then, so then the last game, right? The last game, Knuckles is still trying to get 300. <laughs> and so he needs some friendly minutes, right? So there's a face-off at center ice. I think we just scored. And Rob Brown's lined up across from him. Mm-hmm. So he grabs Rob Brown after the puck drops and just tunes him. Yeah. So then uh, he gets tossed. And so we come in. <laughs> we're going to the locker room after the game, and, and there's this uh, bulletin board, eh? like, a, like a particle board. And there's this, uh, this, this, this patch of hair. It's stuck to the bulletin board. It was Rob Brown's plugs. He had a hairpiece. Hair oh yeah, and, and ripped it out of his head and and stuck it up on the bulletin board. It was oh. like what? That's like ten thousand dollar hairpiece he just ripped off the guy's head, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why he was wearing it when he's playing hockey is beyond me. But I guess he never thought he'd have to fight anybody. And you know, but Knuckles was looking for penalty minutes, so he just grabbed the nearest, the closest guy, and happened to be this this skill guy, Rob Brown. I'm sure you remember Rob Brown.
0: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yep. I, I remember Rob Brown and, and like you say, like he maybe he didn't think he was ever gonna fight anybody, but you know, he was a bit of a pain in the ass out there. I remember Bomber went after him once when he was with Hartford or and I think he went after him once when he was with Pittsburgh. So I mean he he played a little feisty. I mean, not that he was a fighter at all, but you're right, the plugs he had, I mean, and especially you know technology and the advances you know nowadays you could walk right past the guy and never know it but right. his plugs i mean listen i'm not shitting on the guy i shaved my head on bald those plugs were pretty bad they kind of look like barbie doll heads so <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly yeah exactly so yeah he uh he lost his hair piece mm-hmm. but um yeah so um so that weekend yeah shane, shane uh shane, shane definitely bit off more than he could chew i mean i got lucky when i fought bomber i was up against the boards and um you know, when that fight was over, I remember him going, no, we're not done. <laughs> like, yeah, we are, dude, please. And he <laughs> threw a couple bombs at me. But um, I, I was lucky I was bigger than him, so I could I could put him up against the boards and I could use my weight. But he, he's the one guy you don't want to let loose. And then I, then I played with him the next year. Yep. And I remember looking at his knuckles. His knuckles are shaped like little uh, triangles. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they're like little knives, eh? I don't know if he ever looked at his hands. Yeah. But they're like little knives, and I tell you, man, he, he, he cut open at pretty much everybody he fought. Like this guy was just a just a beast, mm-hmm. and, and you know what? He's a good player too. Yeah, that's another thing people don't realize. He he was a very good hockey player, oh, yeah. and um, was and, and he's he's a brilliant. He's got a brilliant mind. Like yes. he's a genius, man. Yep. you know. So so like it's just he got he had everything going for him. He just I guess he just knew his role and he did it very well. But. There was, there was a there was a uh, an incredible mind and in, 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 under you know under that helmet too you know he, he really knew the game very well I'm surprised he never got into coaching actually
0: he did for a few years he was assistant, assistant coach he, with the Bruins
1: okay well there you go there you go okay so yeah, yeah he did coach mm-hmm. so yeah, I always knew he'd be a good coach
0: he uh, I remember that game like it was yesterday I mean that was uh, those were good times for me like I, that season I was you know twenty turning twenty one. Uh, and you know, that was every game you go into watching bomber and Mick do their thing. And I never forget that game. It was a pretty, pretty violent game. Lots of fights. And like I said, uh, the hit on Craig Janney, I, I, you know, we were, uh, the, where I sat was up top, but it was, I was behind it and you just heard it just echo through the arena. And then I'll never forget, uh. The fight with Shane and just watch it. I mean, Shane was. I mean, listen, Shane's a tough guy, but in terms of experience and skill, Bomber at that point it was it was not not even a contest. And the worst thing that happened for Shane was Bomber grabbed him and he got him. He just fed him uppercut, left uppercuts, and. I remember when they were separated the blood and then of course me being me, I was taping the game of course. And then I go home and I'm watching the video and I just like, I get goosebumps now. Cause I just remember like the place was going nuts. Cause there was probably four fights in the game and there was the big hit. And, uh, I think that was the first time I'd seen Shane fight in person. Then I was just like, man, this guy's, you know, he's tough. He stood in there. I don't think he went down. I mean, he took a few and he got split open, but yeah. And then I, I have my spies, you know, uh, to get that inside info and, uh, and I remember hearing about that uh, the conversation that may have happened and uh, and uh, but listen that's the way hockey used to be and, and, and I and I think the game is worse for it I, I like uh, you know like the way you handle things yourself you handle it like a man you handle it in-house and and when it's over it's over and it's one of the things I kind of liked about the sport back then is uh, it was a kind of thing where when shit happened you can handle it and then it was over and you know hey bomber's doing his job he's being a physical presence out there he's fighting you he's crushing guys with hits and then when stevenson comes up to challenge him he just answers the bell and then it's over with and then everyone yeah. everyone leaves the arena that night and there's no carryover you know what i'm
1: saying exactly you know it it, it was like that too i you know i remember um my first training camp there's two guys i don't remember their oh, actually one guy's name was dave mellon he played at clarkson mm-hmm. and um, he fought some guy that was coming out of the ihl and these two guys man they went toe-to-toe and they must have hit each other like 20 times square in the face. And right after, right after that, we're at the bar having beers. And later on, yep. they're, they're, they're best friends. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember seeing that thinking, oh, my God, like this, that's, that's hockey. That's a hockey yep. player. You know, like mm-hmm. they just tried to kill each other 10 minutes ago and or an hour ago, rather. And now they're at the bar having a beer. And it's like <laughs> it never happened. Their, their faces are swollen, bruises and cuts everywhere. I was like, geez. You know, so, yeah, that, that, it was a totally different era. You know, I think I think I think fighting got a little bit out of control in the you know two thousands, whereas it was more like guys trying to hold on to their jobs. This had you know, but back in the day, I I really think of the Tim Hunters of the world and the, the bombers of the world, that there was a reason behind it. But I think I think once uh once it got to a point where like like Tim Hunter told me a story. He says, "Listen, Graham, this is how it was when I played." I would I, and and Mick told me this too. Mick told me this. He goes, "Mick said you abuse the skill, guys." And you fight the tough guys, mm-hmm. like you abuse them. And, and and Hunt said, "Yeah, I used to try to kill Wayne Gretzky all the time. I didn't care if it was Wayne Gretzky. I, I, I hit him hard, yeah. and then I had to fight because of it. I think I think it became a point where tough guys weren't really going after the the skilled guys anymore. They were just having their two or three shifts a game, mm-hmm. and they're, they're squaring off the other tough guy because they they had to. Yeah, you know, it, the role kind of changed, and and the use of the of that player kind of changed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what led to um." I don't know I don't know if I have any proof if I could say this for sure but if you look at the guys that came later after after me I think you've seen a lot more of the the uh the, the depression issues and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. than you did back in my era cuz I do believe that even though tough guys were tough guys you still had tough guys scoring you know 15 goals you had you had uh you had uh, uh what's his face that what's his face Bob Probert scoring 29 yep like, I don't think you saw that in the 2000s a tough guy put producing like that because mm-hmm the coaches wouldn't give them a chance to do that. You know Definitely.
0: what
1: I mean? Yep. And in my era, they actually did let you play. You didn't, yeah. just, you didn't just sit on the bench and pick your nose for, for three periods and then fight, get one shift. You actually played, Yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I just th- think it was a totally different time and I don't think you are seen it. So I, I think those guys were, were, were poorly treated mm-hmm. later on and, and, um, just used as, 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 as cannon fodder. And I think that was so wrong. You know what I mean? To treat those guys. Like yep.
0: Um, just so, uh, just to put a bow on this, Chris Nyland ended up that season with 277 penalty minutes, which <laughs> which is a nice total. But when you consider he only played 41 games and he got 277 <laughs> penalty minutes, had he played a full season, he's probably looking at around 475, 500. Yeah. You know.
1: yeah, see, he tried He was trying to get to 300. I think he had to get like 70 penalty minutes in two games or something like that, and he almost did. Uh, he almost did it. But again, he 41 got games.
0: Minutes. Just, and this yeah. is and this is Chris Nyland towards the end of his career. This isn't yeah. Chris Nyland of Montreal. This is the, the spunky guy from Massachusetts trying to get 300. And like I said, he was 23 minutes short, but he only played 41 games. <laughs>
1: so, well, so if you give him one more game, he would he would have definitely oh, gotten. No
0: question. question, no question. So how did that, how did you end up signing with the Islanders?
1: Well, yeah. So now that the Bruins uh, didn't resign me. And so I just uh, my agent just worked and worked and got me a deal with the Islanders, um, got me a one on one. And that happened uh, in September. I remember I was at a, um, a I was at a pre-camp in Boston at Boston University. Uh, John Kenneth used to run it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the second week of the camp. My agent, who was Ray Shearer at the time, mm-hmm. was at the rank, and I was sitting on the bench. Right. And Ray's, Ray got my attention. I went over to see him. He goes, hey, man. I got you a contract. I was so happy because I was getting married that summer. Actually, no, I got married that summer, and I hadn't had a job yet. I got married, uh, I, uh, it was August, uh, August 3rd, and, um, and I suddenly had a job until about a month later, like two or three weeks later, actually. Mm-hmm. So finally got a job, and yeah, he just, just uh, worked the deal with Yeah, He worked every team, and that's the only team that's with interest, I guess.
0: And um, I know uh, in that training camp, I think I sent you the picture. I know that you had a preseason fight against Louis DeBrusque at the Coliseum when Louis was with the Rangers. Do you remember that fight? Because yeah. I only have the picture, and I know I was at the game, but I don't remember the fight. Uh, do you remember the fight?
1: I do, yeah. That was a pretty even tilt. I mean, yeah. he was a rookie, actually. And um, so, yeah, I, I knew I had to fight him. So, we, yeah, we went. I, 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 actually, you sent me that picture. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember that fight. It was just a kind of a, you know, a few punches and we grabbed each other, but it was more of an even, even tilt. It wasn't, it didn't didn't go that long. Yeah. I don't even think I got hit. I don't think I hit him or I I don't even think I got hit, you know, really that hard. So, yeah. So that was pretty much it. It was a preseason fight. So
0: you brought up, you brought up uh, your nickname. Now, obviously you're a hockey player, so you're going to have the nickname that ends in a Y or an IE, like everyone, I'm sure people over the years have called you Townie. But, um, uh, being that I know so many of the guys that you played with the Islanders, every time if they mentioned you, uh, how did you get the nickname Boomba?
1: Well, this is going to be funny, and it's it's not going to be a popular uh, response in, in, in today's climate. But what happened was I was playing junior B in Toronto. Okay. And uh, my sentiment was a guy named Mark Etchier, God rest his soul. He passed away uh, a while ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were at this team party, and he was sitting at he was sitting at a table. And there are drinks all around the table, right? You know, with, 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 with you know, drinks in it and stuff. And and I, I was standing talking to somebody and I turned and as I turned my body, my torso, my hand hit the drink and it spilled all over him. Mm-hmm. So he was this little guy and he looks up at me, he goes, You big boomba <laughs> the whole room went silent, mm-hmm. like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> and I looked at him and I started laughing. Yeah. So the next, the next uh, day of practice, one of my teammates uh, said, hey, uh, Boomba. <laughs> and I started laughing again. So the name stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know what the name meant right, until much later on. He, and, and I guess uh, this guy, Mark, went to a private school called, um, uh, what was the name of the school? Oh, Henry Carr. Henry Carr was a, a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. That's the name that the white kids call the black kids oh okay
0: yeah because i i've heard that for years but i never knew what it meant i didn't know the the genesis of it
1: but no no one knew like outside of that school and that small group of people right that's Mm -hmm. a name they made up for black people and so obviously it's not a a, a flattering thing but it became my nickname i i took ownership of it Mm -hmm. i didn't mind it yeah and i I hardly ever i never really told that story like no one calls me boom anymore right Right. they me County now but um but that was my nickname for a long, long time, and, and I just like I said that. when I got into coaching; I was was to have people call me Boomba, so people started calling me Townie or Towner. That was pretty much it. Yeah, so that's that's how it came up. But like only my closest, closest, dearest, dearest friends call me that. Like I got you. I'm talking about, you know, they they still do to this day. Some of like I'd say about five guys that, that that call me that to this day, and these are my my junior my junior teammates. And I still keep in touch with, with a half a dozen of those guys, and. They still call me that. Then okay. I've, had, I've had the name Mr. T, because you know, uh, the popular Mr. T back in the day. So I've had oh, people yeah. call me that, but that never stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that never stuck, you know. Just that I, and, I, and it wasn't like I was going around and people asked what my nickname was. I wasn't like same well, you know. The only one I held on to was Boomba. Yeah, so yeah. when they asked what my nickname was at school, I told them, you know, mm-hmm. that was. But even those guys don't call me Boomba anymore. Right. Right.
0: All right, so we're gonna play some uh, name association because uh, obviously Islander Islander based uh, show here, and I love I love the, a lot of these guys. I'm gonna ask you about, and I love the AHL, and so um, so we're gonna just ask you about some of your teammates here. Um, first guy, one, and we spoke about uh, Dino already, so uh, we'll go. Uh, we'll start with another Dean, Dean Chanel.
1: Oh man, uh, Dean Chanel, uh, Mister Mister GQ. <laughs> Mr GQ man he had uh, he had the nicest clothes of anybody on the team and he, he always like what he did is he, this guy was cool man like he dressed he dressed to the nines all the time eh mm. and uh, he, he 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 would like change out his wardrobe i don't guess every couple of years so what he would do is he'd bring a a clothes rack of all of his clothes right and sell them to us in the locker room <laughs> I, I bought a really i bought a i couldn't afford his clothes so i bought a really nice tie off of him once
0: wow <laughs> Uh, well, he's a first-round pick. He's got to look the part.
1: Hey, oh, dude. I'm talking, Mr. GQ, man. There's no one to dress better than Dean Snell. Telling you. And he was tough too, man. He oh, smoked yeah. lefty. Yeah. Uh, he he made he made Bob Bugner's career. By the way, I'll yep. tell you that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know the fight that he had. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dino Dino was killing him. Yep. Have you seen that fight? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my god. And then out of, out of nowhere from from ice level. As he's going down, this bomb comes out of nowhere and connects with Dino and knocks him out. Yep. I couldn't believe it. Yep, like it was, I'm not, not disrespecting Bob Boogner, but, hey, Bob, if you're out there, you know his lucky punch, right? <laughs> I, I Listen,
0: I, I know Boogie a little bit. I, I'm sure he would say the same thing. <laughs> most, listen, most guys that drop the gloves, uh, you if you land a punch like that, it's it's perfect timing. It's whatever it is. I mean, there's very few – I mean, there's very few – professional fighters that land that punch you know that highlight punch that puts a guy down and there's always luck yeah. involved in it so uh, but yeah no i remember that that one for sure i did reach out to dino to ask him about you and he basically just said great guy phenomenal shape and good teammate and a lot of the guys i reached out to basically those were a lot of the things they said about you just what a what an amazing human being you are and i always said like you seem to be ahead of your time in terms of physical fitness
1: yeah, I, I did take that very seriously back then. I figured that's the one thing I could control. You know, like even if I didn't have the the skill level, if I could be in great shape and, and hard to move, and 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 the, the cardiovascular. The one guy that taught me about the cardiovascular, how important that was, was two guys, Adam Oates and, and Nick Fatio. They both like stressed that part of the game, like was being probably the most important, is your conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so I took that very seriously. I, I went crazy. I, I probably went overboard with my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think I, I think I may have, may have overtrained, but I just loved, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be the best conditioned guy in training camp if I could be, you know, yeah. I, I always, always wanted to be in the top two or three guys in training camp as far as conditioning is concerned. Yeah.
0: Um, another guy you played with the Capitol district was Rick Hayward.
1: Yep. Hazy. Mm-hmm. Hazy. Uh, my, I fought him in training camp and, uh, he became one of my closest friends on the team. And I got to tell you. And that whole thing happened with uh, with Gord. He's the one that snuck me out of the rink, yeah. Uh, so the media wouldn't get to me. So yeah, Hazy, Hazy, I, I guess in a word is uh, that that's the ultimate warrior, man. Like mm-hmm. that guy, that guy, um, just a, and, and just a, just a phenomenal guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about a great teammate, like totally there for his team. Yeah, that guy fought for everybody, and um, just just one of one of the most most amazing people you're ever gonna meet in your life, really. You should interview him if you get a chance.
0: I definitely will reach out to him on uh, on Facebook there. He's definitely on my list of guys to reach out to. Um, someone I did have on the show and someone who is around the same age as me, but I'm always going to remember him as this goofy kid with the goofy smile, always smiling, always having fun. And uh, that's Dave Chizowski.
1: Chizzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chizzer, man. I got. I, it's funny because um, I, I got a story to tell you about, about him. It's It's kind of funny and... I'm not taking credit for this, but but I guess I guess maybe I am. So <laughs> heading heading into the last game of the year, Chizer was on an a, a major major scoring slump, mm-hmm. and he were, he and I were on the same line. So so there's we're playing Binghamton at home. They were the Rangers at the time, and I I dug the puck out of the corner. I threw it to the slot area where he was, and I went to the net right. And there's this pile of guys in front of the net. So Chizer shot the puck and it went off the shaft of my stick and went in. So that would have been my 30th goal, mm-hmm. right? But the, ref, the refs gave it to Chizer, So we get, now we get back to the bench, right? And Chizer goes, hey, didn't that hit your stick? Because he, he saw it hit my stick, right? He goes, didn't that hit your stick? So he, so I have a chance to correct it. But I said, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, we got playoffs next week. And what does it take for a guy to come out of a scoring slump? Well, just a goal. You just yeah. score a goal, a lucky goal, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, your whole perspective on life changes. And next thing you know, you're out of your scoring slump. And I, and I, thought, I was thinking to myself, we need this guy next week. Mm-hmm. So I go, no, that was your goal, dude. Yeah, And he goes, oh. Uh, he goes, I don't think so. I said, yeah, it was. He goes, okay. <laughs> and then next, the next thing you know, he gets four goals in four playoff games.
0: <laughs> well, and it's funny you're telling that story because when I reached out to Chizzer, he, he said the second thing he said about you was unselfish. He said he's one of the <laughs> kindest, unselfish, lovable humans I've ever met. And he said old Boomba was awesome. So I know yeah. he loves you to death.
1: Yeah, I I love hey I love Chizer too, man, and that that's that's a true story. And and I got like I said, I'm not I can't say I can take credit for it because who knows? Because playoffs weren't for a week later. But what I know, like any other hockey player knows, if you're in a slump, one way to get out of it is to get a lucky goal, puck off your skate or something, anything, to just build your confidence. And that's why I, that's why I didn't take that goal. So you look at my career, it says 29 goals, and I, I, know, I know it would look better if it said 30. But I wouldn't change that for the world because I, I I really wanted to help our team succeed in the playoffs. We ended up losing, unfortunately, four straight to to the Red Wings. But um, Adirondack. But but I mean, Scherzer was a big part of our 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 team. He, he had a great playoff, and like I said, four goals and four games. You can't go wrong there. No. Um. So so I, I did that because uh, be you like, know, yeah, I, I was thinking about the team more 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 than myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't want it, I, I, I didn't want that. To, uh, I wanted him to have a, a great playoff and hopefully have, help us have a deep run. Um, so that's why I did that. Yeah.
0: Um, another guy you played with the guy, not necessarily a fighter. He didn't fight too much, but he definitely played physical and that's Wayne Doucette.
1: Oh, Deuce, my roomie, my other roomie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deuce and I are good friends on Facebook. Yep. So, so when, uh, when that Max Middorf thing happened, yep. right, um, you know, and, and to their defense, I was on the ice with Greg Parks. I forget who else was on the ice, but uh, Deuce came over to help me because because so I was out cold. Like, I was on my back, out cold, and Mittendorf was rearranging my face. And yeah, so Deuce came over to help, right? And then who grabs him and sucker punches him? Mark Potman breaks Deuce's nose. Uh-huh. So here, both of us have our faces smashed open. But Deuce came to help me, man. He was always there for me, man. And He was like just always had my back. And, and when I went over to confront um you know the the uh red wings uh yeah. after that game that mm-hmm. fateful game yeah deuce was one of the guys behind me yeah like he was there and and i was in front of the entire adoratic red wings team yeah and i had deuce i had deuce i had frazz and i had um it was um it was uh uh oh geez phil huber mm-hmm. those three guys came and my wife by the way
0: <laughs> oh. was frazz smoking because i know he was fond of that What's that? Was Ian Fraser? Was he smoking at the time? Because I know every time he was oh, he off the, the ice, dart. he had a cigarette in his mouth.
1: He had the darts going all the time. Yep. He had the it's, it's 3000 GT. He had the, he he was he's a man. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they were all behind me. Yeah, and so that guy. So we're we're standing in front of twenty guys the four of us and my wife. And I'm 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 telling these guys I'm gonna have to I'll fight every one of you guys if I have to to get through you. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Cummins goes really Graham. You're gonna fight all of us. Yeah, <laughs> that's when I, had, I said okay. Let's see. There's Tomlinson. There's <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know okay yeah. angle uh, mm-hmm. okay maybe not
0: <laughs> yeah no and and it's funny because we're i'm going to talk to you about adirondack uh, in a few minutes once we're done with this um another guy you, like you played we're talking about smart guys okay like we we talked about uh you know dean chanel the guy's been a a coach i think since he retired like smart guy another guy you played with he's one of the best gms in the nhl right now kevin shovel Dayoff.
1: oh my god yeah, there's a guy that's just a just a a, a, a step ahead of everybody. He was so yeah. smart. If you, I don't know if you know this, but Chevy has won uh, championships at mm-hmm. every level. Yeah, he's, he's been at including the Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. um, World Juniors, uh, uh, Memorial Cup, everything. And so the the guy's nothing but a winner, man. Yep. and and he's, he's he's a brilliant mind. I mean, he was one of those. I think he got like um you know like W H L like Academic Player yep. of the Year or something. Yeah, like he maybe. won it so twice,
0: you know, I think. Like yeah. That.
1: Yeah, so he's just a really brilliant man, and um, and a, a hard worker. Again, a great teammate. Like that's the one thing about that team, the Islanders did a really good job of picking the right guys because all those guys were there for each other. They, they were they were just a, we were like a gang, you know what I mean? Yep. And um, always there for each other. It was it was a it was a great team to plan. I really enjoyed my time with the Islanders, man. I really did.
0: Uh, one guy who uh, who played with you there that one season, I think he was brought in when uh, Dean Ewan got hurt, and that's Turbo Dean Trebojevic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Turbo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy's a wild man. He's yeah. a wild man yeah, from Alaska.
0: Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I asked him about you and uh, he said, I recall him telling me about how poor Jamaica was and how good we have it here. I love the guy because he loved every minute of hockey like I did. So Yeah.
1: Yep. You can mm-hmm. say that about Tino you know, for sure. Yep. Yeah, Dean Turbivich. Turbo, Turbo is a phenomenal human being. Yeah, again, like I said, uh, we we had we had we had nothing but great, great guys in that team. I can't think of anybody that I didn't like. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's unusual because every team's got someone that's sort of off and off on their own. But that, that that club, man, we we just everyone got along. We had we had great Halloween parties and Christmas parties and stuff like that. Everyone got along. The wives got along really well. Believe it or not. Yeah, you know, it was a great, just a great place to play and a great bunch of guys.
0: Uh, one thing I, I didn't scroll down far enough, going back to Wayne Doucette, I did reach out to Deuce also, and uh, he said he was my roommate a lot on the road. Very good person. He'd do push-ups and sit-ups most nights. He was a beast. I used to call him <laughs> Hightower from the Police Academy movies. Very classy guy, gentle giant, and loves country music. So I guess maybe you, went, you moved more towards country, but uh, maybe you toned down the heavy metal at the time or what?
1: Well, no, what happened was, so, so I, lo- I, I I, didn't like country music back then. I think, I think he's referring to, to my to my uh, my taste today. Okay. So I used to hate country music, but what happened was I was I was in Chicago doing a hockey school about five years ago, mm-hmm. and um, one of my instructors and I we were going to drive back to Maine. It was like um it was like a uh, like a ten hour drive to um to Buffalo, and then a, and like a eight hour drive to Maine from there. So we're going to stop at Buffalo. So the, the rule is, whoever drives gets to pick the music. Yep. So this kid, this kid volunteers to drive. And I don't want to drive the first 10 hours anyway. So he volunteers to drive. And he's got country music on the whole freaking time, right? And <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh, you got to be kidding me, man. I hate this crap. Yeah. But as, of course, now you're hearing the same songs over and over again. And I start listening to the lyrics. And I'm like, these lyrics are awesome. Because you know, I always thought it was about killing, you know, your dog dies. and you're, <laughs> Whatever. You're, you you're a pickup your pickup truck. The lyrics were awesome, so so I started like I had this thing on you know SoundHound on my phone, right? Mm-hmm. So I start soundhounding all these songs, and then my intention is to go back, and put it on my iPod later. So now now I'm a huge country country music fan. So that's what Deuce is referring to because I talk about it on Facebook all the time about how much I love country music and all that stuff. So yeah. It's it's one of my favorite genres, but I have not I have not turned my back on heavy metal at all.
0: All right, good to know. I,
1: I don't think I ever will. and I good can't wait know. for my Motley Crue concert next year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, ask you about it after the concert. So uh, see how you did. But now now you've brought up Krepke, you brought up Maxi. Um, I, I think you'll agree with me. I think normally you know people down here on the island, obviously back when there was a rivalry, uh, Rangers are the biggest rival and in the american league even though the rangers had their team in binghamton i don't think there was any question that capital district's biggest rival was adirondack and to be honest with you adirondack may have been a lot of teams biggest rival because they had an army of guys there i think barry melrose was the coach uh you alluded to some of their players i mean they had they had a bunch of guys on that team that would just kill you and uh you know, I, I think there I don't think there's any question uh, about those Adirondack games. I know that season, that the first season there. Um, you had the uh, the stick incident with Maxie, who I think you're friends with now on Facebook. It's, it, it's, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And it's just to me, again, it speaks about the way hockey is, about how you battle with these guys on the ice. You go to war against them and then it's over and, and it's settled. It's settled in the rink and that's it. And I remember I remember when uh, I first got on Facebook and I, I saw you and I saw Maxie there and I speak to Maxie on Twitter all the time. Uh, just about it, – it, I love seeing stuff like that because what, what happens in the rink, what, no matter how severe it is, it, it should be settled there. And I, when I saw you and Max, you were friends on Facebook. I thought that was great. Uh, you had a fight. I know I, I watched it. You had a good fight that year with Dennis Vial. But talk about those games, the games against Adirondack, because those were just absolute wars.
1: Oh, man, high anxiety, okay? And it, 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 permeated, it permeated the entire building. Right? Like from top to bottom. So you, you, you knew, you looked at the schedule, you're like, oh, 12 times. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew there were going to be absolute wars. I mean, there, there was one time in a, in a playoff game during warm up, we spent 10 minutes sparing each other. And, and our, our, our guys on our side of the ice, their guys on their side of the ice, and we spent the half half, the warm up pushing and shoving and sparing each other. Didn't even warm up. This is, a, this is before a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those 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 are those are some major wars. There was a guy named Megaphone Mike, and I hated this guy. Like sometimes you know when the, when the rink gets a little bit silent, you, you, this guy had a megaphone he'd yell out, you know, Taljan, you, you suck. Like, they were always <laughs> on my ass in that building every time. So so like so years later, I'm playing in Houston, right? Mm-hmm. Like one time one time I, I was uh, I was suspended, and I was at I was at the Glens Falls Civic Center and okay you're gonna think i'm crazy i hope no one thinks i'm nuts but i wanted to beat megaphone Mike. up <laughs> so i'm sitting in my seat right and i see where he sits he sits behind the bench i saw him get up and go to the bathroom and i thought oh here's my chance <laughs> so i start walking to the bathroom right and i swear to god someone i saw stops me and says hello and i started talking to this guy yeah. and i couldn't get away from him and i see mike come out of the bathroom as a like, oh, shit this lost my opportunity i was gonna go in there and say Hey, you got something to say to me now, you know, that kind of thing, and then see where it went. <laughs> but I was gonna fight him. I was gonna fight megaphone Mike. So so years later, years later, Gordo was playing for us in Houston, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And we're in Orla- we're in Orlando. So I'm coming off the ice after a warm up and some guy's leaning over the over the top of the tunnel and he's yelling down at me, I look up, it's megaphone frickin' Mike. He's down in business for He's down there to visit Gord Kruppi. and He goes, hey, Graham, how's it going, buddy? Hey, I'll see you after the game for a beer? And I'm like, yeah, you'll freaking see me all right. And I kept walking. So I'm going into the bar now, and I go, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, I got to start something with this guy because I don't like him. Yeah. Get to the bar. He's got a huge smile on his face, two beers. He gives me a beer, and he's, hey, man, how you doing? And, you know, cheers. You know, hey, man, I'm sorry about what, the, what happened in the past. I was just doing my job. I remember looking at the beer. Yeah, it was open. I go, "There's no freaking way I'm drinking this beer." <laughs> I kinda like I kind of like snuck it over and snuck and I pretended I was drinking it, you know. And yeah, I put it down and I ordered another one, but just in case, just in case. <laughs> I was drinking that beer, man. But yeah, he ended up being a great guy, mm-hmm. and he just said, "Listen, Grandma, just have fun at the games. You know, like my my job is to get you guys off your game. I'll say whatever I got to say." And. You know, I said, yeah, well, you do a good freaking job, buddy, because I used to hate you. I, I told him about the, the bathroom incident. I said, yeah, I almost fall you in the bathroom one time to kick your ass. And, oh, oh my God, thank God you didn't do that. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, so, so, that so, so another incident was um, we were at home, and they used to have more fans than we did yeah and so i'm coming on the ice I don't just remember how how our locker room was set up but you come off the ice you have to kind of walk down that aisleway, then down some steps and then through the zamboni door mm-hmm. and they used to put this uh this this rope up to keep the fans away from us and so there's these three guys i'm coming on the ice for warm-up for freaking warm-up and they're <laughs> chirping you know call me a pussy and all this stuff and Taking off, thinking, oh, for crying out loud, these guys are here early. <laughs> so the whole warm-up, they're on the glass, giving me the finger and all kinds of stuff, and I'm just ignoring them. I get off the ice, they're there again. Every time I got off the ice and on the ice for each intermission, they were there. So I come on for, come on for the third period, and there they are again. Yeah. So finally, I said, you know what? When this game's over, if those guys are there, I'm going to grab one of them and just shake the shit out of them. <laughs> so I get off the ice, and I'm looking for them, and what do I see? My wife has one of them by the throat, and she's pointing in his face. And I go, honey, what's going on here? She goes, I got this. Like, oh, okay. okay. So, so after it's over, they leave. And I go, what the hell was that all about? She says, well, um, one of the ushers told me that there are three guys fucking your husband. And she goes, okay. And he said they were, they were throwing racial slurs at him. See, I couldn't hear what they were saying through the glass.
0: Right, right, okay.
1: So my wife heard that they, my wife's white, by the way, she said yep. she heard their own racial slurs at me. Mm-hmm. So she went down and she went down to, to challenge one of them. She, was, she said her intention was to let them know that that was her husband and that if they had the balls to say that to his face after the game, that they're welcome to stick around. Yeah. And then while she was saying it, her reaction, she just instinctively grabbed the guy. So she was basically asking the guy to stick around and say it to my face. And, you know, if you have the balls to say it to his face, please stick around. I'd love to see you do it. Oh my God. Fine. But that's my wife. You don't mess with me. My wife will kill you. I love it. So, so, but 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 it backfired though. All the fans from Adirondack were saying, "Yeah, Townsend, you pussy. Your wife has to fight your back." <laughs> Please, thanks a lot, honey. <laughs> oh,
0: listen, that she sounds. I I met her for about thirty seconds at the alumni thing a couple of years ago, so I don't know her, yeah. but she sounds terrific. So uh, so I lo- I'm sure. Listen, I'm sure my wife would be the same way. So uh, so yeah, that that's fantastic. But I mean, in a way, she did you a favor because the worst thing you could have done was actually grab one of these guys.
1: Yeah, I would have gotten in a lot of trouble for sure. Yeah. But mm. back in those days, I was—I wasn't the smartest guy. I—I I, I would have done it. Mm. But yeah, she's definitely saved me from uh from getting in some serious trouble because there definitely would have been assault charges laid on me for sure. Yeah, and then and then, and then, and then later on, there'd be no green card. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with that on my record.
0: <laughs> so, so the couple of years that you have—I mean, everywhere you played everywhere you played when you got a chance to play you put up points and when you're in the minors it always led to call-ups and this uh uh 91 92 you got seven games up with the islanders um and you play you know we talked about bomber already uh you want to talk a little bit uh, uh you know you mentioned mick Vakota, who islander legend the guy is i mean the guy's done everything he can do up here uh i've had him on the show him and i are really good friends uh even though it wasn't for a very long time what was it like playing with mickey uh,
1: again awesome um Mick's another great teammate would fight anybody anytime always there to help help you help us out you know help especially when you got called up he really he was really welcoming yeah. you know what i mean so like, like like mix mix just a wonderful human being also man like i said you know there's not one single guy on that team that you could say you didn't like you know mm-hmm. what i mean they're all and they and there there's such a good a closely knit group of guys you know yeah. like after practice the, the whole team went out for lunch together and stuff like that you know that was a kind of a a, a ritual you know and yeah. And so, so, like, Mick was one of the leaders in making that happen, too. Like, he's always really adamant that the guys who hang together and stuff. And so, he was sort of a, a conduit to make all that happen. Yeah.
0: And uh, two other guys that you played with here, uh, Richie Pilon and Robbie DeMaio.
1: Yep. Two quiet guys. Mm-hmm. But, again, two fierce competitors. Wonderful teammates. Um, always there for you. Stick up for you, know, stick up for you at the drop of a hat. But they're quiet leaders, eh? Like, just mm-hmm. they didn't really say a lot. They just did. They, they let their play do their talking for them, and um, just like I see Robbie DeMaio every year at these, this this uh, charity event down in Florida. He actually goes down there. It's uh the uh, the, the, the it's, it's uh, the Bruins alumni show up to this thing. It's a, it's a charity golf tournament for a um for a, a young hockey player who uh, passed away in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And um, he's always he's down there representing both the Bruins and the Lightning because a lot of Lightning guys uh, show up to this thing. It's a, it's, a, it's in Tampa. Yeah, so I see I see Robbie every year in in. Uh, in uh, January, probably won't be seeing him this year. Yeah, but uh, he's on there every, every other
0: year though. Um, now, obviously, even though short time with the Islanders, I have to ask you about playing for Al Arbor. Oh man, legend, legend,
1: man. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe I was playing for Al Arbor. You know, again, seeing him win four Stanley Cups, and he was like a, was a coaching god. So yeah, it was, it was great playing for him again wonderful human being right i didn't really get to know him very like too close personally but just the way he trained the guys the way he talked in the locker room the way he communicated he could just tell he cared about his players you know that's the that's the
0: feeling i got from him Mm -hmm. and in the seven games you did score one goal it was against quebec do you remember the goal yeah ray uh ray ferraro told me um next time he gets
1: a chance coming down the way just go right to the freaking net and that, that was on purpose. He, it, was, it was what they call him, pad pass today. He just ripped one off the goalie's pads and went right to me, right in the slot. And wide open net. It was easy. I just did what he told me to do. He said, he said, you see me going down the wing, just go right to the net. And that's all I did, just stick on the ice. And anyone could have scored that goal. Played you know. <laughs> with a like man. It was he and Benny Holt. Like we, had, we had a really good run there. In the seven games, I got three points. Yep. Kind of disappointed I got sent down that time. I remember. Um right after I got sent down, we, we went to lunch as a team. So I, I decided to go with the guys before going back to Troy and, uh, and, and, and Fitzy got up and, and we were talking about hockey and, and kind of the BS that goes, the BS in the business side. And he goes, he goes, so, you know, Graham, for example, there's not one reason, no reason whatsoever that he gets sent down right now. He's playing awesome. And yeah. there's no reason to send him down. Why is he being sent down? And he goes, this is, this is the bullshit of hockey. And, you know, he's right. Cause I was playing really well, Yeah, you know, but, for whatever reason, they sent me down, and you know, I I, 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 mean, I was, I was, I bet you, I guarantee you, I mean, I was playing with Ray, Ray Ferraro, and Benoit Ho. Yeah. Like that's, that was a great third line. Mm-hmm. I think we we had a lot of minutes, and I guarantee I would have scored a point a game with those guys. I'm not, even, I'm not exaggerating. If yeah. I stayed with those two guys all year, I, I, definitely would have been a point a game. And um, so yeah, there was no reason to send me down on at that time. It's kind of BS, but that's, a, that's, a, that's hockey. Nothing you can do about it. Who knows why they sent me down. Yeah, I know I wasn't playing bad, mm. you know. So, um, so that's just the way it goes, though, you know.
0: And there's another guy that's done very well after himself after his playing days are over. Tom Fitzgerald is he, is he GM in New Jersey now? I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, Fitzie man, he's done really well. He's, yeah, and it wasn't wasn't he with the Penguins when they won their cups?
0: I think so. I yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I thought he was. So, so yeah, so he's doing. He's doing. I think Billy Garen was there too. So yeah, yes. they, he's done well for himself, and um, now he's running his own his own team. So. He's worked hard at it. He puts just as much effort into that as he did as a player. you know.
0: Yeah, which is a lot of effort. Everyone that's seen Tom Fitzgerald play knows. I know it's cliche to say, but literally never took a shift off. And everything he accomplished, he worked his ass off for.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: One guy you played with the following season, even though you only played two games, I assume you went to training camp with him, and he's someone that always, depending on who you ask, Especially if you're a teammate, you smile and you laugh. If you played against him, you probably hate his guts and want to kill him. And that was Darius Kasparaitis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I play I played with Darius Kasparaitis. yeah, I did. Um I I think I, I, I played against him actually before that when he was with Dynamo, uh Dynamo, uh Moscow. He played we played an exhibition game oh, okay. when I was in Boston. And he was he was just this freaking fierce then, man. He was killing guys, a hip check. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was quite a, quite a force, man. And to talk about a guy who just loved life, eh, he just, 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 you could just tell he was happy to, so happy to be out from under the iron curtain and in, in a, in a, in a, free country, you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. he can really express himself and he certainly expressed himself. And I uh, just, just, again, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't pick a more fierce competitor than that guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you ended up uh, after your time with the Islanders was over. You ended up in Ottawa. Was that uh, your relationship with Rick Bonus, uh, remembering you from uh, Boston organization?
1: Yeah, it's both Rick and Ray. Ray, is the assistant general manager. So that's how I ended up getting that job. And um, you know, I got a funny story. Uh, Rick Bonus um, had had me come to his office before training camp started. I actually had a really good summer of training. I was in literally the best shape I've ever been in. And uh, Rick sits down and says, okay, Graham, I want to explain how training camp works. And he goes, "Um, you know, mo- usually we have two teams, an A team and a B team. Uh, this team, we're going to have three. The A team is the guys that we expect to make Ottawa, and said that's you know, that, which is normal. Yeah. The B team is guys that we expect to be playing in, in the American League. And then the C team is guys that we expect to be playing in the UHL. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, uh, Joe, I just come off a, th- a 29-goal season, right? Yep. He looks at me and says, you're, you're on the C team. Oh. My heart dropped yeah i got pissed and yeah. and looking back now i know rick did this on purpose i said rick this is bullshit yeah i can't believe you're doing this i said but you know what fine i'll go on that c team but i, I guarantee you within two days i'm going to be on that freaking a team <laughs> and then two days later i was on the a team there you go there you go mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he was just doing the light of fire into my ass like i didn't see it that way at the time right i was pissed yeah i couldn't he had the audacity to put me on the freaking C team. Are you crazy? <laughs> so, but, but he knew what he's doing. He coached me for two years. He knew how to get me pissed off. He knew when when I got mad, I played well. You know, yeah. and I was angry. And he was. I'm looking back now. I know he's. That's what he's trying to do. Like he totally it was totally total mind manipulation. But <laughs> I needed it. You know. After I, too, I didn't play well.
0: After he told you, he turned around. He probably gave some wink and goes, "Watch what he's gonna do." Because like you say, he knew he knew the kind of guy you were. So. Right,
1: exact. I now, went crazy in that first practice. I was like, I'm not playing with these freaking guys. No offense to those guys yeah. you listening. No offense, but you know, I'm coming off a really big year in the American League. I was like number one in the league in scoring percentage mm-hmm. and uh, second in the league in power play goals. And this guy's going to throw me in the UHL. I don't think so. That's not <laughs> happening. No freaking way. Now, a lot of times
0: when teams aren't very good, uh, one way to draw attention and um, you know, bring fans in the seats you, you load your team up with toughness. And this season, you played 14 games with Ottawa. I'm just going to rattle off some names, and then I'm going to ask you about two guys. Uh, just so, so people know, this Ottawa team, uh, I think the two mainstays, of course, were Dennis Vial and Billy Heward, uh, guys you battled against the American League. Uh, also, Troy Millette, a uh, guy I really like, Scott Levins, uh, Francois LaRue, Herb Raglin, and two guys I want to ask you about, uh, one with Islander ties and one without. Uh, first guy is uh, Gordy Denis.
1: Gordy Neen, what a great dude, man! Now I got to tell you, we, we weren't really a close team. Okay, um, it wasn't. I mean, at least I didn't see, I didn't see it that way. But mm-hmm. um, we, 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 losing so much, like I I, I hated losing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm sure everyone else did too. But I, I hated losing the way we did too. Like, I'm talking double digits and stuff. It was embarrassing. Yeah. So I don't really feel that we were a close team, mm-hmm. and that might have been part of the problem. Um, because they are just starting out and they're just throwing us all together from different places. And we didn't really have a time have time to gel and get to know each other and like each other and love each other and stuff. Right. right. But Gore Dineen, um, I've, I knew him from years before because I used to train with, with all the Danin boys up, up at Glens Falls in the, in the summer yeah. when I was playing Islanders. Mm-hmm. So I got to know him really well. And he's, he's a, he's a great dude, man. He's just a soft spoken guy. Yeah. Again, just a nice person um herb Ragland, i didn't really t- talk to him too much um mm-hmm. i hung out with billy heward quite a bit so yeah. he and i became good friends and dennis vial he didn't talk to anybody he okay. didn't talk at all I, I don't think he, like i like i never heard him say a word yeah you know mm-hmm. and so i didn't really I, I wasn't really close to him either but uh, definitely bill heward he and i hung out together all the time during training camp and mm-hmm. uh, i I I, cons- I I considered myself close to billy you know for sure yeah. And uh, uh, I, I don't remember Scott Levens at all. He might have gotten there after me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't remember him. But and her, like I said, Herb and I didn't really talk to him too much, and yeah, it wasn't a lot of lot of closeness on that team at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my favorite guy from those early Ottawa years is a guy I didn't mention that I wanted to save him for last, and that was Darcy Lowen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Chainsaw. Oh my, oh my god! Funny story about Darcy. So he's playing in Rochester my rookie year, and uh, there's a scuffle in the corner. We're in Rochester. And this this friggin' five foot eight, five foot nine guy is like looking like he wants to fight me, right? Yeah. So I don't know anybody in the league. I don't know anybody. So I'm like, I'm gonna kill this guy. So I drop the gloves, mm-hmm. and I gotta tell you, this guy hit me with so many lefts, I thought I was a freaking Democrat. <laughs> and I go to the penalty box, okay, and I'm sitting there with Lou Crawford, and Lou's Lou's kind of chuckling, right? Yeah. And I go, "What's so funny, man?" He goes, "Well, you, that was a good fight." <laughs> 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 he said, and he's laughing, right? I go, what? What do you mean? He goes, he goes, you took him lightly, didn't you? I go, well, yeah, he goes, yeah, because you thought he, because he was small, you're is going to be easy, right? I go, yeah. He goes, do you know who that is? I go, no. He goes, that's Darcy freaking Lowen, you dummy, one of the toughest mother effers in the league. Yeah. I go, yes. Yeah. You know? He goes, he goes, he goes, kid, learn from this. He goes, never, ever, ever take a guy lightly, yeah. no matter who it is. Yep. I go, yeah. Lesson learned. But yeah, man, he, he he beat the crap out of me. Yeah, <laughs> so he's, he's tough. Old, yeah, he is. Yeah, and so they called they called him what they call him chainsaw. Chainsaw. Yeah, chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Because he played like a freaking chainsaw, it never stopped and cut everything everything down in its way. It was, <laughs> it was like uh, he went to Vegas and they had another guy named uh, I think Mark Rogers. They called him Buzzsaw. and they mm-hmm. had him. Uh, they had Darcy chainsaw. They both played on the same line. Mm-hmm. They, were, they, they both played exactly the same way. Imagine <laughs> two guys like that on one line. Yeah, know, that's
0: crazy. Yeah, I love Darcy. Always one of my favorite players. And, and especially, you know, I talk about those early Ottawa teams that weren't very good. So a lot of these physical guys got a chance to play. And I had seen Darcy play a little bit in Rochester, but, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, he seemed like he got an opportunity on some bad Ottawa teams. And, and just, man, I love that guy. Tough as nails, heart and soul. I, I love Darcy Lowen for sure
1: yeah he never stopped it. there's a guy that literally gave hundred yeah. percent every shift I mean he, he you know, like you said, it is a cliche, but he never took a shift off yeah. ever yeah. ever and, and, and he got hundred percent you got hundred percent out of him he, he squeeze. You, you could squeeze those coaches he had squeezed everything they could out of that guy and and, and he literally got the most out of him and you know
0: in in, uh, in Prince Edward Island, you played with another darcy that i 'm a big fan of a Darcy who played against Darcy Lowen in the Western League uh yep. tough defenseman darcy simon love darcy simon what are your yeah. memories of him
1: <laughs> i'm not a great dude funniest tell yeah um like goofy guy but again, really smart i think he's a realtor now in the of out the, out the maritimes okay i think that's what he's doing now but that uh, darcy, darcy really tough stay-at-home defenseman you know not not a not a big mouth guy, quiet. But, um, but but when he when he spoke, it was always something funny coming out of his mouth. Eh, like he was just a, a dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I really liked him a lot, man.
0: Um, even though you you know you had said that you had grown tired of the fighting, uh, you know, and just that you didn't want to be pigeonholed into that role. Uh, you did, and again, I didn't see these fights. I just know it happened. I know you had a two fight game um, against Donald Bashir when he was a Fredericton. Do you remember those fights?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I do. I do. Um, so yeah, when I was when I was in that that division, that's a, that was a, that was probably the toughest division in the American League, right? Yeah, uh, arguably because yeah, you had you had Cape uh, Breton, you had um, the Fredericton with with Brashear, and uh, of course uh, every once in a while uh, Roberge was there. I think both Robert's brothers were still there. But and Jerry Mario Fleming
0: was probably up. still there, right? Was that Jerry Fleming was still there?
1: Jerry Fleming was there exactly. Yep. So so that team was tough, and then I think Moncton was in the league at the yep. time too, mm-hmm. and they had, they had a tough team. Yeah. So you really had so, and, and of course, like St. John's, they had friggin' Frank the Animal by Lois there. Yeah. So, um, so you had to you had to step up, and so yeah, I, I fought a lot more because I, I wanted to get called back up. So I fought fresh air twice, mm-hmm. and in fact, what happened was um, I got called up, and we were playing Montreal at home. And so after pregame, Randy Sexton wanted to see me in the stands. Mm-hmm. So we go up to the stands, right, and we're sitting there. And he's talking about asking me how I'm doing and how, how everything's going and all that. Then he starts talking about Montreal, how much he hates the Canadians. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I hate the Canadians too. <laughs> he looks down at the ice. He says, see that Lyle line guy? I go, yeah. I go, yeah. He goes, I hate that guy. <laughs> I go, I, I, don't, I don't like him either. He goes, I want you to fight him tonight. Mm-hmm. First time a GM ever told me that, eh? Yeah. Like, I hate that. I hate yeah. him. I, like I went back to my to my um, my um hotel. My wife was up with my son and I was so upset that I was being forced, like being told to fight. Right. Like I didn't want to play. Mm-hmm. And, I, got, and, and I, I don't mind telling you this, but I was so full of anxiety that I was in tears. Yeah. And so, of course, now the game starts, right? I go, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And so I'm on the ice and it's, and Lyle's not out this fresh year, right? So I just tapped him in the shin pads. I go, hey, Brash, we got to go, man. Mm-hmm. And he's, he just ignored me. Like yeah. I just fought the guy twice, like literally two weeks ago. Yeah. And I know, I'm certainly, I know he wasn't scared of me. Right, But you don't want to fight, right? So he's skating around the ice, and I'm tapping him the shin pads. Dude, we got to go. We got to go. And he's like, you know, he wouldn't even say anything. He didn't tell me F off or nothing. Yeah. He just, so I figured, okay, I figured, okay I'm just going to play. So then later in the game, Peter Popovic has the puck on, you know, just inside his blue line, and I freaking ran him. Mm-hmm. I turn around, boom, in my face, Lilo Line just sucker punches me. Yeah. Down I go. Mm-hmm. And he ended up in that fight. And right, this is this is why I. I decided I was not going to fight unless I felt like it. Yeah. Right after that game, I got sent down because I lost that fight. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? This little prick told me to do this. Mm-hmm. I get sucker. I got jumped, and he sends me down. So I was like, screw you, man. I'm only going to mm-hmm. fight if I want to. And that's kind of. Then I went to the IHL the next year, and I fought a lot in that league because I wanted to establish myself. I wanted guys to just leave me alone. So I fought everybody. Yeah. And then I really have to fight after that.
0: Uh, It seemed like a lot of guys in a similar boat to you where you had played a few years in the American League and now the IHL, uh, it just seemed like it, it just blew up almost overnight. I mean, it was always a, you know, it was a developmental league for a long time and then it just seemed like it was just full of these independent teams. It blew up. Now, you're a guy that's playing a lot of time in the minors. You ride in these buses. Now you have the opportunity to go to another league where you're going to make probably make more money, you're going to be flying airplanes, you're going to be playing in better cities. Was that the allure of the IHL at the time?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, I I was still hesitant because you know you kind of get used to what you get used to. Yeah. And I, I actually wanted to stay in the American League, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't like the money I was being offered by Hershey, and I actually signed a contract um, agreement. It wasn't a contract, mm-hmm. and I broke it. Yeah. So they were pissed at me, but. I, um, I, I just, it was a contract proposal. That's what it was.
0: With Hershey, and I, you said? Sorry? With Hershey?
1: With Hershey, right, okay. yeah. And I didn't like the deal. So, so like the funny thing happened. I was going to go there because it's the only deal I could get. Mm-hmm. And, um, and literally the day after I signed it, and it back to the team, um, Pete Denineen called me mm-hmm. and said, um, oh no, I'm sorry. I went, I, went to, I went to train up in Glens Falls. That's what it was. Went to train in Glens Falls that day, mm-hmm. and I just sent the contract back to uh, the contract proposal back to the Hershey Bears. Yeah. And then at that skate, Pete Dineen offered me a job with Houston. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Houston. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm thinking Texas. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, I'm going down there. Yeah. So then I get home. He calls me, and he's trying to convince me to go there. I said, well, you no, know, dude, I, I, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Hershey, man. How much are they gonna pay you? I told him. Yeah. They go, okay, we'll give you more. I said, well, really? How much more? He gave me a number. I said, well, can you do better than that? Mm-hmm. And he kept going up and up and up. Yeah. Then I said, okay, well, how about us? How about uh, you know, like bonuses? And he starts throwing bonuses at me. How about a signing bonus? Do a signing bonus at me? And, then, and <laughs> I started asking for flights for my kid to go back home, but my stepson to see his, his dad. Yeah. Like you know, he gave me all that. He gave me everything I wanted. I was like, holy shit. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll sign. Yeah. So I called first. I said, I'm not coming well, you signed a contract. I said, no, I signed a contract proposal. Yeah. And I had the contract and I hadn't signed it yet. Yeah. I said, I'm not signing this contract. Said, well, we're going to sue you. I said, well, go ahead. I'm not, I'm not coming down there. Yeah. I'm going to Houston. Mm-hmm. So I went to Houston and reluctantly, I remember getting a map. I, I could call my wife that day. She, she thought we we're going to Hershey. Mm-hmm. And right after I agreed to go to Houston, I said, oh yeah, honey, change of plans. Like literally an hour after <laughs> I was going to Hershey I said we're going to Houston she goes what yeah Houston <laughs> I had to look up on the freaking map dude I didn't really know exactly where it was yeah I looked up on a map Go, oh my god look how far it is so I get down there and it ended up being the best place ever um yeah. we played our home opener against uh Atlanta the defending champs mm-hmm. and we had 15,000 people in the building so we go into a shootout and Terry Ruskowski didn't like me I guess I don't know I don't know he didn't respect my skill whatever I don't think he thought I could play right who knows yeah so he's picking all these guys. He's picking the right guys. He's, you know, he's got Dave Tippett's going to go, and and uh, um, Scott O'Neill. You know, those are all the right guys. And then he gets down to like seven, seven and eight. And then, no offense to you, Yosie. I know you're out there. I love you, but he picked Mike over me. <laughs> and I mean, come on, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking Yosie, but come on, man. No, I know, like, I know. Over me. So he goes <laughs> in and he misses. So now. The coach is looking at the bench, and I know this prick's going to pick a defenseman next, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Not me. So we make eye contact. I throw my hands up in the air. And I go, "Really?" <laughs> and, he goes, and reluctantly, throws me out there. So, so the, during the shootout, our goalie Toy Gamble is going crazy, right? Every time he makes a save, he's yelling at the bench, "Come on, come on!" Because you know it's stressful for a goalie, right? And he's yeah, like, "Come on!" Right? So he's getting pissed, right? So I skate down to Troy. I tap them in the pads. I go, "Don't worry, buddy, it's over." And I skate down. I score, yeah. and the fans go fricking bananas. Mm-hmm. And I said, "I found my home, man. I love this place. Yeah. You know, like I loved Houston and, and the IHL. The money was great, but but this just you know playing in front of fifteen thousand people a game. You go to Orlando, there's twelve thousand people there. You go to Detroit, there's another fifteen thousand there. You know you're playing in front of these big crowds. you are flying everywhere. You know it, it was great. You know it, it was like being in the NHL." Yeah. And, and oh yeah, we ended up being on on uh on you know, we, were, we were we were covered by ESPN because they had a lockout that yep. year, so mm-hmm. they had to have some hockey. Our, our goalie Troy Gamble got in trouble because of that. He ends up he, he's from Vancouver, right? Yeah. So he, a, he leased a car, he leased a uh, an Explorer, and in the lease you're not allowed to leave the country, right? Mm-hmm. So he left the country, of course. And uh, how did so what happened was um he gets up one morning and his car's gone. Uh. He calls, uh, you know, the dealer. He goes, yeah, I was watching uh, TSN Game of the Week, and I saw you, you were playing in Houston. I <laughs> to bring the car down then, buddy, so he sent the repo to get it. Uh,
0: no kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't on TV, the guy never would have known to up the country.
0: That is hilarious.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, when Troy signed with Houston, I'm sure he, you know, he didn't expect us to be on, the, on TSN every week. But, exactly. And then we were one of the featured teams because, you know, Houston's, you know, being the city it is and all that. Yeah. We had, we were on there a lot. We were we were they had a lot of our games on, mm. uh, the TSN game of the week or whatever it was. So yeah, so so he 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 was seen every single week, and this guy got pissed and sent the repo man to get his car back. That's hilarious. <laughs> did anything? Did it
0: ever get better with uh, Roscoe or no?
1: No, no. What happened was, um, so my second year, I was the assistant captain. My first year, the second year, we I think we played about eight preseason games, maybe ten, mm-hmm. and he calls me to his office, and. uh, He says, I'm taking your letter away. I go, well, why is that? He goes, well, you're not going to play much this year. I go, how come? He goes, "Um, well, you had a really bad training camp. I go, I go, Terry, are you you on drugs? I go, I've got seven goals in 10 games. Well, well, you scored most of those goals at the beginning of camp. I said, I go, bullshit. I go, what's it matter? I go, seven goals are seven goals, you dummy. Yeah. And I was pissed. I, I, I didn't like him. Yeah. And, and Roscoe, if you're listening, sorry, man, I didn't like you. Mm-hmm. He probably didn't like me, but that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So he goes to me, well, you're not going to play. So I, I stood up and I looked at him. I said, listen, man, I don't give a shit what you think, mm-hmm. but at the end of the season, when the season's over, I'm going to have 20 goals, whether you like it or not. And he kind of smirked, right? And, and he had a reason to. Like, How am I going to score 30 goals if I don't play, right? Right. So sure enough, he's sitting me out game after game and and I'm being interviewed by the media. They, I scored 19 goals a year before, now this guy sent me out all of a sudden. I'm not playing. i like, come on. So the media is wondering why I'm not playing. My teammates are, everyone's kind of, you know, everyone's commenting that I'm getting screwed, right? But I, I wasn't buying into it. I was just like, you know, I was being positive, being a professional. So finally, we're going to go to Milwaukee, and, and we're going to practice in Houston, hop on a plane, fly to Milwaukee, play the game, and come back. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not playing, right? So I don't want to go on the road trip. You know, because it's a 45-minute drive to the airport, and we got to fly there, play the game, fly back, drive back, you know, middle of the night, 45 minutes on the bus, and I didn't want to do it right. So, but then all of a sudden I said to myself, you know what, this prick has not told me yet that I'm not playing, so I'm going to make him tell me to my face. And so I get on the bus to go to the airport, and he, he gets on, he's putting his bags up, and all of a sudden he makes eye like contact with me, and I, I look at him, and I kind of I wake at him. He doesn't have the gut to tell me I'm not thinking stuff like on his face. Oh, my God, I forgot to tell him he's not playing. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say anything to me. So I'm like, I'm like, is this is this prick going to make me drive, drive all the way to the airport and then drive all the way back home? Like, I, I could be sitting in my freaking pool right now. Yeah. And so I get to the airport, and I'm pissed, right? My trainer's hanging out, me, handing out my mail money, that's it's all pre-sorted in envelopes with your name on it. And, of course, mine's not in there because I'm not supposed to be on the trip. Yeah. So I go, Terry. My, my, my money won't be, be in the unit, I have to go to the ATM and uh, give me 100 bucks, dude, so he goes gets me the money, and then he starts handing out the boarding passes. it's going to commercial back then, mm-hmm. of course, I don't have a ticket, I go, we'll, we'll give you a ticket, dude, so he gets me a ticket, we fly, we fly to Milwaukee, but we can't land, we have to land in Chicago, because of, there's like heavy winds in Milwaukee, we, we take a bus to Milwaukee, we get to the hotel, there's no power because of the wind, so we have to eat, eat like, turkey sandwiches for our pre-game meal. So now we got to walk up the freaking stairs to get to our rooms, right? So imagine the stairwell is pitch black. You can't hear anything but our feet stomping on the steps and me bitching and swearing and cursing out Terry. Like I can't believe I'm effing on this trip. This is bullcrap. And guys are like, calm down, Tony. Shut up. You know, I'm just pissed. That I get, to get in my room and I'm room with the captain, Curtis Hunt, and I'm just bitching the whole time, like just whining. And Bonnie Hunts goes, you know, Tony, I'm sick of your whining. Why don't you just shut the hell up? Mm. And why do you just go warm-up and stick it up his ass? At least since you're here, you may as well just go off for warm-up. So I go, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I get off warm up for warm-up. I get off the ice. I, I got off early. I usually skated the whole 20 minutes. I got off early because again, I was in a bad mood. And what do I see on the training table? Mark Frears getting his knee looked at. I go, Frears, what happened to you? Oh, well, I twisted my my, my knee in warm-up. I go, oh, I didn't see him get hurt, eh? Yeah. so now I got to play so, so Terry comes in and tells me I gotta play, I go yeah no shit Terry so he gives me two shifts in the first period and I score right <laughs> so I went to the friggin bench and his jaws dropped and I, I, I was laughing I looked at him, I shrugged my shoulders I sat down, so I get a couple shifts in the second, I score again ended up, ended up scoring two goals that game the next game, same thing, five or six shifts, two more goals the third game same thing, five or six shifts, I score again. So now he pulls me to his office and goes, man, you make me look like an idiot. And, and then I go, yeah, you do look pretty stupid, dude. I got five goals in three games. <laughs> I said, hey, remember when I told you I was going to th- get 20? He goes, yeah. I changed my mind. I said, you should keep playing me the, the way you are. I'm going to get 50. <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately, he got uh, he got fired. I and mean, again, Terry, sorry, man, I, I couldn't stand playing for the guy. He mm-hmm. got fired. And um, I tell the story all the time. I failed to get um, you know, 20 goals, yeah. and then I tell the story. I raise my middle finger. I say I actually got 21. <laughs> <laughs> I Got that extra goal just for him. <laughs> okay. And I'm the serious. I got 21 that year. Yeah. And I, laughed, I was laughing my ass off. Like, I told him. I told I was going to score. I told him I was going to do it. He ain't going to stop me. Yeah. You know. So, like I said, when I when I when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And, uh, and I and I, and I just knew that he couldn't stop me from, from scoring. I knew he couldn't do it. Yeah. And I wasn't going to let him. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what happened. He ended up, being up, having a good, I had a good year. The team had a terrible year. We didn't make the playoffs. And then the next year, we actually went to the semifinals, had a good, had a good run. And it was, it was a good experience, but that was the end of my run in Houston. I was there for three years. And then I was kind of done and went to be a player, assistant coach in the lower league in, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and started my coaching career.
0: Now, one of the guys you played with in Houston uh, is a guy that I'm I'm friendly with on uh, on Facebook and everything. A guy I have a lot of respect for that I've I've watched since he's in the Western League, and that's Steve Jakes. What do you remember about yeah. playing with Steve?
1: Oh my God, I remember. I'll tell you this: this is all you need to know about Steve Jakes. We were we're in Kansas City. He fights Dody Wood, okay. Mm. And early in the fight, Jakes not a big guy. He's about 185 pounds, right? Probably about six feet. He's not huge. Yeah. but he's toughest because he gets punched right in, right on the bridge of his nose, like right between the eyes, and it split him open for probably a good, I don't know, two, three-inch cut, but it was a, one of those cuts that's so deep, you can all, all you see is a, the white fat in your face, mm-hmm. and it's just gushing blood. Like it's in his eyes he can't see, right? And, and when he, he, he won't, like, I would have stopped fighting right there. I'm sorry. I would have not, Jason, he keeps throwing punches. He can't see what he's doing, Yeah, and don't, he's just, like, like, picking his spots, and, banging him in the, in, in the same spot over and over again, bam, bam, bam. So finally the fight ends, right? And Jakes, he's on the training table getting, getting stitched up. So t- I'm, I'm in, he's, he's my best friend on the team, so I'm in there making sure he's okay, right? Standing by, standing by the, uh, the operating table, whatever you want to call it. And Terry comes in, and uh, Jakes, he goes, hey, Terry, put me out there against him again. I'm going to fight him again. And, and, and Terry goes, dude, you, you're not playing. Because both his eyes are almost swollen shut, eh? He goes, yeah. So you're not playing. He goes. Yes, I am. I'm going to fight him again. No, you're not, Jason. And they start arguing. I go, Jason, you got to be reasonable, dude. You can't fight that. Go wait, wait till you heal, then go him again some other time. No, yeah. no, I'm going to fight him again. So Terry wouldn't let him play. Yeah. <laughs> so, <and> then the <laughs> very next game, he goes and fights some guy. I forget
0: the kid's name from, from Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And the kid, the kid puts him open again. He hadn't even healed yet.
1: <laughs> and just, that cut must have been opened up like at least four or five times after before it actually healed. This guy was crazy, man. He just yeah. didn't care. Yeah, you know? and he, he he fought everybody and anybody, and he was all oh, he won a lot of his fights mostly.
0: But uh, holy smokes, you couldn't stop Jakes, man. Well, I did reach out to him and ask him about you, of course, and uh, similar. He loves you, uh, and basically he said Graham is the personification of character. He's a great guy to talk with about racism because he isn't motivated by politics. In fact, the most powerful story he told me is how he reconciled with his college coach who said some inappropriate things, which we've already discussed. Um, Excuse me. He confronted him in a mature way, and his coach repented in a genuine way, but the college gave in to political forces and ruined the coach's career we all hate this no matter what minority group we belong to. People are people and we all need to be given an opportunity to answer for ourselves. So uh, that's what JC said about you. and just, like uh, he loves you and just like all your ex teammates, it seems like uh, that, I, that I reached out to, obviously they all have a ton of respect for you.
1: Yeah. I, I, the, the feelings are mutual too. I mean, Jakesy and I were really close. We both have a, um, a deep rooted faith in God and um, mm-hmm. you know, he helped keep hold me accountable uh, during my time in Houston with him and, you know, we, we actually used to have a, a, a Bible study before every game at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, even on the road, he and I would get together and just, like, uh, just sort of pray for the game and pray for safety and stuff like that. Cause I, I, that's a big thing. I always used to pray for safety of my opponents and my teammates. Mm-hmm. Of course, myself. Because hockey is an unpredictable, violent game. And, you know, it's controlled mayhem. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, um, yeah. it, you mean, you can literally die in a yeah. hockey game. Yep. It so I was always praying for safety because I always felt that, you know, God was looking over me and looking over my teammates. And some people, some people kind of cringe when you talk about, you know, faith and, and sports. But, you know, to me it's all, all the same because I, I believe hockey is a microcosm of life. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, you, live, you live a lifetime of experiences in a 60-minute hockey game. Mm-hmm. Like you go through a whole gamut of emotions, hatred, anger, fear you know, anxiety, all this, all this stuff. And you win, you lose, you you win a little battle here. You you lose another battle, but but 10 seconds later, you know, you have conflict with referees, coaches, teammates, opposition. I mean, everything you experience in life, you can experience in a 60 minute hockey game. Yeah. And you do that 80 times a year, you know, it's, it's crazy. So, so, so to me, God's, God's a part of that because God's a part of my, my everyday life and so God, I don't understand why people don't, well I do understand because people don't really understand what sports is. Sports mm-hmm. is a life, it's a it's a, it's a a short lifetime in a 60 minute period yep. you know, and it's a snippet and, and so yeah, God is a part of it. And I rely on God for you know, to, to keep me safe and also to keep me from doing things that I shouldn't be doing and saying things I shouldn't be doing, you know what I mean? Even though at times I definitely did slip up and and make bad decisions, but but um, you know, it, 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 all in all,
0: God's a big part of my life, and, and a big part of my hockey life too. No, that's great. That's great. I mean, it's a faith is an individual thing. So, uh, like you say, I so people cringe for me. It's just, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not very religious. I do believe in I do believe in God, but uh, you know, I know it's like you say, it's like everything else. People uh, believe at different different levels and everything, and I, I think it's great. So, uh, there was a game in a game against Kansas City, you were lined up for a face-off, and uh, I think Trevor Robbins was the goalie of the Blades. He was on the bench, and I believe he said something to you, and you actually went to the bench to confront him. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, it's almost like, um, yeah, that was in Houston, Yeah, and I, I don't remember what he said, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he may, you know, the thing is, it's even like the Chris King thing, you know, like things were denied. but Yeah. Sometimes I hear things I want to hear. Sometimes I, you know what I mean? It's one of those yeah. things where I can't remember yeah. what he said mm-hmm. or what I thought he said. Yeah. But I thought he said something racial. Okay. And, you know, this, and he may not have. Right. He may not have. I don't know. I can't remember. I was, just remember hearing something and I just got incensed. Yeah. And I went over and said, hey, I want to say that again or something. He didn't say anything. Yeah. So I steered. And then their whole team came after me, mm. and uh, so then I'm I'm in the penalty box, and all I like to see was red, and I just wanted to go after that guy, I'm mean, the yep. goalie, yep. or anybody else in my way. But honest to God, I don't remember what he said. Yeah, I just, and like I said, he probably didn't say anything. Yeah, um, I could have just been on edge that day, just in a bad mood. I don't freaking know, but mm. but um, you know, I thought I heard him say something, and um, I went after him. So I, I honestly cannot even tell you what he said or what I thought he said. I thought it was like racial slur or something mm-hmm. he, he may not have
0: said anything who knows right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and, and i didn't gone. that was <laughs> nothing that i read about it was just it just so happened that the game was televised and the tv cameras caught the whole thing so uh it was uh i remember you know when i was watching i remember watching it at the time and then when i was doing the research for this i have it on on video so it was just something i was curious about and and uh, i figured i had to ask i didn't know what it was i mean he could have said that your breath smelled as far as i knew i was curious because you know, yeah. guys, guys chirp all the time. And I always I, like when it, when I watch it, I'm like, I wonder what he said. And I'm like, it's funny. Cause a lot of times, especially goalies, maybe they figure they could chirp and no one's going to call them on it because they're goalies. And I'm like, Oh, someone, someone actually made, <laughs> held the goalie accountable because no matter what he said, like I said, if he said your breath smelled or whatever, he's a goalie probably figures, oh, he's not going to pay attention. And I got to imagine when you turned around, he, he had to be like, Oh fuck, what did I do? You know, so, so I just Probably. thought I thought it was yeah. funny.
1: I remember I, I was I was only focused on him. There are guys grabbing me and punching at I me, and I was I was completely ignoring them. I, all I saw, I was just focused on one person. Everybody else was just an a, 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 a unnecessary distraction. I wasn't even paying attention. I was so pissed. But I like I said, I don't even remember what what he said, mm-hmm. um, if he said anything. Yeah. I, I but uh, yeah, I just I just stopped pissed and, and reacted the way I did. Like I said, I. I, I've done a lot of things that I regret doing. And that's one of them. I, I regret reacting the way I did. Uh, and uh attention to what may
0: have been nothing. I got you. Uh, one guy you fought that year that I want to ask you about, he has Islander ties. He's a good friend of mine and a uh, uh, guy you battled against. And that's Mike McWilliam, who was with Denver Grizzlies at the time. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, yeah. Another another
1: similar, similar to the Dino fight. I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I go- and you know, I'm a, I'm not making excuses, but man, we were at altitude, man. I was yeah. like dying. So yeah, <laughs> it was our first game in Denver, and I, I, oh my God, I should not have fought him at that time. Again, mm-hmm. like end of a shift, and no way should I have been in a fight with him because someone like that, you have to be at your best. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, like Mike, well, Mike, I, I've I've since become friends with with Mike eh? yep. A. The alum, alumni events and on the island, and mm-hmm. what a freaking awesome guy, man. Yes, you know. Yep. Like, I never thought he was a good dude at the time, but
0: <laughs> now oh, he's a scary dude.
1: Yeah, man. He's huge. And yeah. you know, just threw, threw bombs. So yeah, yeah. I, just, I just seatbelted him too that fight. Yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I was not ready to, to take on William at the time. So yeah, a great guy. I'm so happy he got an opportunity. He won a championship there with them that year. I think he won too. He might've been with them again in uh, yep. Salt Lake. I'm not sure. Back to back. back, to back. Yep. Great guy. He played. He played. He got to play with the Islanders that time because of that. He got yep. called up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. All oh, good, man.
0: Um, and maybe this is something to do with um, with Roscoe. The, your second year in Houston, you actually played three games in Minnesota. How did that come about?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, I'm, I'm at the rink, you know, for practice. I'm, I get dressed. I'm walking onto the ice. And Pete Dineen is at the gate looking, looking out on the ice surface. He's, he's never down there. He's always up in his – he's got a window from his office that he can watch practice from. Yeah. So as soon as I turns around, I go, oh, so where did I get traded to this time? And he <laughs> laughed and goes, well, actually, you're being loaned to Minnesota. I said, oh, I was just kidding, dude. He <laughs> goes, yeah, said, so when do I have to go? He goes, well, you got to go. You got to leave in an hour. I said, so you waited until I got dressed. And walked onto the ice surface before telling me that it's not like you just figured it out ten seconds ago. Why didn't you? I'm sure he knew like an hour ago. Mm. I go, you could have told me before that, man. Like, he made me get dressed. I was so pissed off. Like again, just just stupid stuff, eh? Like yeah, just busting my chops for nothing. So I had, I had to get home, pack my bag. He didn't tell me how long I was going to be gone for. Yeah, but to call my wife at work and say, okay, I'm leaving. Uh, you know, my son. My son was in like I think he was 11 at the time. So. Yeah. He, um, i'm not going to be home for seth when he gets home from school and i have to get on the plane so i got yeah. on the plane and flew to la we played we played a game so we played the, the uh the um ice dogs the mm-hmm. la ice dogs yep. and then we get on the plane and we fly to vegas right the next morning we're going to play we're going to play la vegas and then back in los angeles and then back to minnesota presumably, mm-hmm. right um so anyway we get we get to vegas um sometime in the afternoon or whatever And we have practice. And you won't believe this freaking team, man. We get on the ice. The coach, uh, Frank Saratori, who's now coaching at the Air Force Academy, one of the most highly disciplined environments in the world. Mm -hmm. And he diagrams a drill. We do the drill, right? So now it's time for the second drill. We go back to the board. He starts diagramming the next drill. And then Ivan Corvo and a bunch of the guys start skating off the ice. (laughs) And so they're all leaving, and it's just me and this guy named Andy Schneider who I played with in Ottawa. Yep. We're sitting there, and the coach is diagramming the drill. He's finished diagramming. He looks around, and all the guys are already walking through the gate. He goes, guys, where are you going? Ivan <laughs> goes, hey, we're done. Practice is over. He what? goes, no, 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 we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Ivan goes, yeah, we are. See ya. We're going gambling. What? And they left. So the coach looks at me. He's stunned. He looks at me and Andy. He goes, I guess we're done. And the <laughs> coach gets off the ice, right? So I look at Andy. He'd been there for a couple of weeks. And I go, dude, is this how it always is here? He goes, yeah, the players run the team here. Oh, shit. And I go, well, well, I'm not leaving. I mean, me as well. You want to just do some drills together and at least get something out of this practice? He goes, yeah. So we, he and I stayed on the ice for an hour, just mm-hmm. working on individual stuff and doing some drills together. Yeah. And that's when I when I thought, okay, I don't want to play here. I want to get out of this place. I I, I need discipline. I need structure. I can't plan a team like this. Yeah. So. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just I just went, went back to L.A., played my third game, mm-hmm. and then I got the word that I'm going back to, to Houston the next day. So I stayed in L.A. that night, hopped on a flight back to Houston, and I don't know why they loaned me for – I was there for five – well, I guess it ended up being like four days, four or five days, but I couldn't believe it. I, I just loaned me off for a few games and then bring me back. It was just, I don't even know why they did that.
0: Yeah, that's but, weird.
1: But I, I went back and I got another 21. That was my third year in Houston, actually. I believe it was my third year. Thought it was my, I think it was my third That's year. That's your second year. Was it my second year? Yeah, okay, it was my mm-hmm. second year. Okay. Second year. Yeah, so I don't know how that, why that happened or yeah. what, but I'm pretty sure Terry was gone by then. Okay. Dave was the head coach by then. What? May not have been. I, I thought he was, though. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, thank God you went back to Holy, Houston.
1: What? No, what? No. You, no, that, that, you're right. That was before. Yeah, so what happened was, I remember now, Okay. So what happened was that's before I started scoring all those goals I told you about. Mm-hmm. I did get loaned before that. That's right. Okay. Because I, I ended up playing against Minnesota. One of the games I got two goals in where I didn't play much it was against Minnesota. Okay. And I remember talk, cause I remember that game. So I, did, I played for Minnesota three games. I went back to Houston. That's when we, the Milwaukee thing happened. And then one of, the next game we played was against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, we uh, Brian Fogarty was on the ice. Okay. Brian Fogarty. Yep. And it was the second period, and Foggs wasn't on the ice. He was gone. So I leaned over at the face-off, and because I just played with these guys, I, said, I forget who I was talking to. I said, hey, where's Fogs? He goes, oh, he quit. <laughs> he just, right in the middle of the game, he just left. He just, uh, he's sitting in the locker room. And I told you, this coach had no yeah. control. Wow. This coach had no control. So Fogs didn't like what was going on. Yeah. So he said, take his gear off, and the coach was like, where are you going? He goes, I quit. Wow. I go, what do you mean? I'm, just, I'm done. Took off all his gear and left. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus! I mean, this is that's hockey, man. He yeah, was crazy in hockey. And he was their best defenseman too. He just said, "I'm out of here. I'm done."
0: Yeah, he was a scary <laughs> talent, so that's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, one guy that you played
0: with in Houston that second year is a guy that uh, I, I'm a big fan of. Uh, going back to his days with uh, Quebec, and that's Gord Donnelly.
1: Yep, yeah. tough what, as nails, man. Gord yeah. Donnelly, another a great dude. I don't think he really wanted to be in Houston. He wanted to be in the NHL. but, yeah. he, he, but it, it was what it was, and he, he made the best of it. But um, yeah, he he was one of those guys again. Took on all comers, and uh, and he's he's someone I hung out with quite a bit too. I used to when I was working in the NHL with the Leafs, and I had to do a lot of scouting. Um, I used to run into him at the rinks all the time. We'd mm. hang out. So yeah, it just I still kind of kept in touch with him through hockey over the years. Haven't seen him since I left the NHL, but. But I always, always saw him every year at the different rinks around the country.
0: Um, and at the end of that season, uh, you were voted the IHL Man of the Year. How much did that mean to you?
1: It meant a lot because community service was always really important to me. And I, I got into community service kind of uh, through, through some compassion I, I had for a person who was trying to do his job and was getting having a hard time. Our, our PR guy in Maine, um, my rookie year, came in the locker room one day. And was asking for guys to sign up to do some charitable stuff, and the guys kind of like they were teasing him, but they're like, you know, get the hell out of here, throwing stuff at him. And the guy left. He looked all dejected. So, so um, I realized that his job was tough, trying to get guys to go do public appearances. So since I was a rookie, I had no girlfriend, nothing, I just I went to his office after practice and said, listen, listen, Doug, I know you, you're getting a hard time from the guys, and listen, instead of coming in locker room, if you ever have any any events you want anyone to do autograph signing you name it you just come and get me i'll do every single one of them mm-hmm. and we don't have to ask anybody and you know he says oh he's thanks a lot so i, I did every single one of the, the events and i just i enjoyed doing it so everywhere i went i told the pr guy if you need anybody to do anything you know i'm, I'm the guy my wife was always very supportive she encouraged me to do that yeah and so just uh, just did the same thing in Houston. I went to the PR guy, Dave Tagliarino said, listen, anything you need anyone to do, need me to do anything. I'm, I'll do whatever you want. And that's how that happened. And we built a, a strong relationship. So he, he, um, petitioned for me to win that award. It didn't mean a lot because, um, I think, I think it's important to use your, your status as a, as an athlete while you have it, you have that popularity. And people will listen to you. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you use that status to, to do good things in the world. You know what I mean? So, yep. so like I, I kind of, you know, with all that's going on in hockey right now, uh, and, yeah. and sports, you know, with the whole kneeling and stuff like that, I, I, I'm not sure. I still don't know how I feel about all that. Right. You know, especially with, with I know a lot of, I, I, one of my, one of my former students is, is in, is in, he's, um, an army ranger, special forces. Right. And mm-hmm. I think about him all, all the time. And so I, I'm so conflicted by, um, whether to kneel or stand and all that stuff. And, you know, me personally, I would stand, mm-hmm. but, um, and I'm not, and people in, in the, you know, podcast world, I'm not judging anybody. I think yeah. every athlete should choose to do what they choose to do, but I'm just telling you that I, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but people are pissed off at these athletes for taking a stand and then you know, they'll them just to play basketball or football. But to me, it's almost, you can't really do that because it's, you can't have one without the other. You can't say that an athlete can't use a status to, to try and create social change and then at the same time say, okay, well, you can go and do a, a commercial for cancer or something, you know what I mean? Or or, or autism. You, they're using their their, their their fame to help push a cause, help somebody, help people. So if if, if I, I feel athletes should um, attach themselves to causes, whether it's um, healing diseases or, or, or social justice issues. It's whatever the athlete feels moves that person and you can't you know demean a guy for using it and uh, tell him to you know go dribble a basketball no I mean you got to use your status while while you can because once the once he's no longer able to dribble the basketball shoot a hockey puck nobody on the planet cares about him anymore or what he has to say you know or she has to say Mm -hmm. so you use it while you can and and then so that's why I I felt it was important for me to use my whatever you want to call it status or, or position to do good things and Mm -hmm. and and I wanted to do good things in my community which wherever I played was my community and I wanted to I wanted to make sure that I was always always helping out as much as I could so that's what that award meant to me and and, you know it was was nice to be acknowledged then I didn't need to be but it was nice it was nice to be acknowledged and and, and it meant a lot that I felt I helped a lot of people while I was in Houston so I feel really good about that
0: Well, I told a lot of people, you know, and it's, it's funny. It's always the, the physical players, the enforcer types that are always the most popular guys in the team. And a lot of guys that I'm friends with and a lot of guys who've been on this show have been, uh, not even if they weren't acknowledged with an award like that. And again, it's not about being acknowledged, like you said, but it's always the guys, you know, the, the physical players, it seems like that really, uh, not even so much do it because they have to do it, but do it because you want to do it. And, um, really like there's no telling just with the time that you spent um, even just and you're you were just talking about some real serious stuff but even just doing an autograph signing after a game or just going to a hospital or something seeing kids like at least at the very least in that moment you made someone's day and it yeah. might have carried on you know, you never know, I mean, you never know someone could say, "I met Graham Townsend once, and he took the time to talk to me 10, 15 minutes. I was really inspired, whatever, and and now I'm doing this or whatever, so like at the very least, you put a smile on someone's face, but there's no telling, and I say this to a lot of guys. there's no telling how many people you may have influenced just by you know giving your time like that. And I really think again, you're not doing it for, for the attention, but it's really something that should be commended.
1: Well, you know it's true because I remember being a kid a couple things that happened. I remember um, I played with a guy named um, uh, Todd Harkins. Mm-hmm. So I, we, were, we were both in our late 20s when I played with, with Todd. I think I was almost, I think I was 30. And uh, we were talking, he's from Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. And one of his favorite players in baseball was uh, Pete Rose from yeah. Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And he tells a story, okay? And this guy's in his late 20s, and he was almost choking up when he told me this story. I, I, so, this, so when he was a kid, Pete Rose came to cleveland right Mm -hmm. so he gets out there i guess for batting practice or something and he's leaning over the wall or whatever asking pete rose for his autograph and pete rose said something like get lost kid this was his favorite player yeah and he's telling the story and he's getting choked up he goes i hate pete rose ever since that day yeah it was it was like this was like 15 years ago Mm -hmm. so that's the impact pete rose had on that one little boy yeah right so you never know right so so like when I was a kid, um, I couldn't afford to go to Leaf games, so we used to go to Mardi games. Yeah. They did, that, that was the OHA team. And mm-hmm. They called the OHA. It's called the Toronto Marl Bros. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used to go to the games, and we used to, like the players, we'd come out after the game. We'd wait by the door where they'd come out, and we'd chase these guys all around Maple Yards to get their autographs. And they meant yeah. so much to us that Mark Napier stopped and gave me his autograph, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin Fine and uh, Mike Kitchen and Mike Palmateer. And, oh, by the way, Howie Meeker gave me yeah. an autograph. Like, yeah. All these guys and it just meant so much to me and my buddies. And I never kept the autographs. They were on ticket stubs. And, but at the time, as a child, it meant so much that these guys did that. You know, that's, mm-hmm. I thought they were so cool. And I remember saying to myself, like, if I ever become a pro, I'm going to do that, too. Yeah. And, so, and then I became a pro, and, of course, I did the same thing. If a kid asked for an autograph or an adult, whatever, I, and I, I would stand around and sign them for as long as they needed me to until I got everyone signed you know? and yeah. It didn't matter how long it was. I, I was going to sign every autograph before I left.
0: That's great. That's great. Ratsky, I wouldn't
1: because there would be 10,000 people on autographs. So yeah. for Graham Townsend, maybe 15
0: or 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Graham, you have these three really good seasons in the IHL, and now next thing you know, you're in the, the Whipple, the Western Pro League, uh, and, and you put up monster numbers there. Uh, what? How? What happened that you decided to uh, to go to the Western Pro League?
1: Well, well so I, I hurt my shoulder um in, in Houston, so I knew I knew I had a two- I knew something was torn, but the trainer refused to give me an MRI because you know yeah, there's a budgeting thing, right? He didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. So so I played. So what he did is I got shot up for the last three months of the season. They, they they shot me with some cortisone or whatever, and I was able to play. And then at the end of the playoffs, um, we have to you, know, you have these exit. Uh, exit physicals mm-hmm. so at the exit physical you have to sign and say that you're 100 percent healthy because then that way you know they don't want you collecting workman's comp and all that stuff in the off season and so he wanted me to sign it. i go no i'm not signing that thing i my shoulder is something wrong with my shoulder i told you about this three months ago you refused to look into it and i played i didn't bitch about it but i'm not signing that thing until i get my shoulder looked at mm-hmm. so now they have the mri and what happens? Oh, it's a three—it's a one-inch tear in my rotator cuff. Oh, shit. So I have to have surgery. Mm-hmm. So I had surgery, and now I'm, I'm told I can't play until October. I have surgery in July. Mm-hmm. And so the Houston Arrows offered me a really crappy contract, half of what I was making, because I was hurt and I was yeah. desperate. So so I, I was thinking about it. And then some guy approached me and talked to me about this Lake Charles team. And I had no desire to go there. I was going to use it as leverage to get Houston to get me more money. Right. And so um, they offered me a, a huge amount of money, dude, like, like twice what I was getting in Houston. I was like, How can you guys do that when you have a salary cap? And they go, well, We got ways. And like they did all kinds of crazy things too. They they had this deal with a grocery store chain. Yeah. And uh, they uh, basically gave me a credit card mm-hmm. every week with like you know three hundred bucks on it, mm-hmm. and I could I could cash it in for cash or buy groceries. Yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> how they paid me. Yeah. And, and then when you add it all up, it's like, it's like, holy smokes, I, and they're, they're cheating like crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then, but I ended up taking that deal. And then later in the year, I went up and played in Houston for one game. Yep. If I, I played for 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 Salt for, for Utah first. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to finish the year with them. But what had happened was part of my deal with Houston, I mean, with Blake Charles, part of what I was being paid for was I had to start because they wanted to do a grassroots hockey program, because that's how you you, you, you develop, develop the market, right? You have to, The whole league mandate was each team had to develop their market through youth hockey. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me to, to run the youth hockey program, because I've been doing my own hockey schools for many years at that point. Yeah. So I had 100 kids in the minor hockey program, and it's mid-season, and if I leave... Um, the program stops because I was running it. Yeah. So I felt bad about it and decided not to leave and stay in Lake Charles. And mm-hmm. later on, I was on the road and my wife calls me. She says, you know, Dave Tippett's been trying to reach you. He wants you to come up and play in Houston tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he's been calling your coach and uh, he can't get through to you. So I went to my coach and said, hey, has Dave Tippett been calling you? He goes, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't told you. Well, I didn't want you to leave. Oh. <laughs> so i said you know what i I probably wouldn't have gone but now that you did this i'm going yeah because he said he was afraid that once i got back with my old buddies yeah i was gonna like it there and leave which i could see why you would think that because that's probably true Mm -hmm. so i went out there i played my game and sure enough i was hanging out with you and all the guys and tipper wanted me to finish the year in houston Mm -hmm. and i was so tempted to go but i but my, my, my my the the fact I made a commitment to this other team, yeah, to the town, you know, do you know what I mean. I just, yeah, like if I was like I should have maybe I should have thought of myself first and stayed in Houston, but I thought now you know what, I made a commitment. These guys are relying on me. Playoffs are coming up. I'm not, not going to do this to them. So I decided to stay in stay in Lake Charles and mm-hmm. give up the chance to go to Houston again. So yeah, that's how I ended it. And I decided I was going to commit to being a coach, and that's how I kind of got playing hockey out of my system. Mm-hmm. I made that decision and then I, I had one more year left on my contract and I didn't really want to play anymore so I wasn't having fun playing hockey anymore but I had a contract I had to honor it and um, you know we had a deep run in the playoffs we almost we almost ended up we almost got past the semifinals and uh, into the finals so we had a really good run and and uh, I felt I did my job and helped that team and that's when I decided to retire from hockey and um, and uh, become a coach
0: before you retired uh your second year at Lake Charles of course uh WPHL man of the year so it's uh your second man of the year award in two different leagues again and it just again I'm sure sentiment is similar to the man of the year award in the IHL uh but I just wanted to uh put that out there again so people understand I mean obviously your character has really come through in this episode so I think people know by now but I did want to uh I did want to bring that up so you turn the coaching and I I want to ask you about a few of the guys and and thank you for your time. You've given me a tremendous amount of time. I love this. I really do. I wish it would never end. Uh, But if you don't mind, I want to ask you about a few guys that you coached uh, and get your opinion on them. If, uh, if you don't mind. So um, with, with Macon, the Macon whoopie, one of the greatest names ever in, uh, in professional sports, (laughs) um, you coached a guy. I don't know if he's related to Gary, but you coached a guy named Phil Volk who put up, in insane brother. I mean insane numbers uh in the first year it was uh 456 penalty minutes in 65 games then he played yep. eight games in the playoffs had 55 more uh yep so on that team you had Phil you had Andrew Rogers Chris Broussard Todd McIsaac and Mark McFarland. uh what do yep. you think about that group of guys
1: okay let me tell you about that team I I that's that was my first year coaching mm-hmm And and the way I got that job is remember I told Terry I was going to score 20 goals. Yeah. I told that owner at my interview, my first interview, I've never been interviewed for a coaching job before in my life. And I actually actually said this to him. Mm. I go, uh, I understand you guys have owned the team for four years. And they said, yeah, I said, "And, and I understand you're really upset that you've never won a playoff round yeah really and the reason i knew that is dave tippett told me to, to research the team yeah and so i did all my research i got all these newspaper articles and I, and I and the theme was in the newspaper articles that the owners were really upset about not ever winning a playoff round but so i said if you hire me i guarantee you will win at least one playoff round and mm-hmm. mind you i've never coached before in my life i don't even know how <laughs> i'm gonna do this so so i after the meeting ended i walked back to the hotel thinking oh man i just screwed that up And you know being too cocky i get to the room and uh the, and the, and the, the phone, the little light on the phone's on. I, I call it. I, I get my message, and it's the general manager says, he they want to talk to me again at the, at the rink. So I, go, I walk back to the rink. They offer me the job. They said, they go, you know why we offered this job to you? I said, I don't have a clue. Yeah. They go, because you're the only guy that came in and had the balls to, to guarantee a playoff. <laughs> so we, we <laughs> want to see this happen. So I go back to the hotel. I call my wife. I say, honey, I've got good news and bad news. She goes, okay, well, what's the good news? I said, well, I got the job. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. This is great. And she like, what's the bad news, Dan? I said, well, the bad news is I, I guarantee the first round playoff victory and I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> so that, that's, how, that's how it's set up. So now mm-hmm. if I'm going to do this, I have to start with one important piece, and that's a leader. Yeah. And I played against Phil Volk when he was in, in Corpus Christi the year before, and he was a freaking leader. Mm-hmm. He was a warrior. Not only was he a warrior, a beast, but he was a really good player. So I had to get Phil Valk. Mm-hmm. So that's the first guy that I signed. Nice. And I, it took some getting used. Like, I was giving Phil whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. I want this. I want that. Hey, dude, whatever you want, I'll give you anything you need. Yeah. And I got Phil there. First piece. That was the most important piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. is having that guy. Okay? The leader. And and the thing is, I never, ever told my tough guys to fight. Ever. Mm-hmm. Never said to, never said to, told them to fight. Um, so I get this kid. I wanted this kid, Chris Brassard, Mm -hmm. to come back. He was a goal scorer, and the guys told me he was a pussy. I said, "I don't care. It doesn't matter if he's a pussy. I'm going to have like five or six tough guys. No one's going to touch this kid, right?" So I try to get uh, Chris to come back. He goes, "No, I'm not. I don't play. I don't want to play. I'm going to play in Europe." So he goes to Europe, and the season starts in August there, right? So by by the end of September, he wants to come back to to make. And so I bring him back right in time for the first the first road game. We're playing the toughest team in the league. It's a team that I built my team to compete against, mm-hmm. the Huntsville Channel Cats. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, so we're gonna. They have like four or five guys on their team, and it's gonna be a war. Okay. This guy Chris Broussard goes out for his first shift. He, now he's a goal scorer. Okay. Mm-hmm. He grabs the toughest guy on their team and beats him to a pulp so bad that I was mad that he did that to the guy. It's not not very nice. You don't do <laughs> that. You can beat a guy up that bad. What was that all about? Yeah. And so he so after the game I go I go I go, Chris, what the hell was that? He goes, Well I heard you're like tough team, so I thought you wanted me to fight. I said, No, dum yeah. dumb, you gotta <laughs> score. How are you gonna score if you're in the freaking penalty box every game? I got four or five guys to take care of the you know de and all those guys. You know I don't want you fighting them. Yeah. I said, by the way, why'd you beat him so bad? Because all well, I don't know, so you wanted me to do it. I said, no, I don't want you to fight anymore. <laughs> well, the kid wouldn't stop fighting. I mean, he's scoring goals. He said he scored 35 goals for me that year, mm-hmm. made the all-star team and everything. But he's sniping. He's just going crazy. So, so, so all the pieces are falling into place. But we, well, we can't seem to beat this one team, the Fayetteville Force. They mm-hmm. beat us every game, practically. Think we beat them twice in regulation out of 12, 12 attempts. Yeah. And one of the reasons they couldn't beat us is they're two goalies played the puck unreal like they'd get the puck in the zone they could fire a rocket pass to the far blue line on the tape every time so i need a i need a player because i was running low on guys guys were hurting stuff and suspended and whatnot so i get this guy named andrew rogers and he's a tough guy but i don't really care if he fights or not he's just there to fill a jersey for me just to i really don't care if he fights i got enough so i tell so but but but, but i never ever ever my tough guys played i never yeah. ever Like, my tough guys were on the power play. Mm -hmm. They were killing penalties. I used to tell them, if you're going to – I'm going to let you play, but if you take a freaking penalty, you know, a dumb penalty um, on a PK, you'll never see the PK again. If you're on the power play and a defenseman cross checks you in the head Mm -hmm. and you turn around and whack them, you'll never see the power play again. I'm giving you the chance because of all the stuff you do, five on five. And I appreciate it. I'm going to give you extra minutes, but don't F it up. Mm -hmm. So that's the message, okay? So I I put – I told Drew, you're on the third line. dude. You're going to play. So – his his lines coming up next. I, I yell up the line, "Hey Andrew, you're going up next with so and so," and so the puck gets dumped down into their into their end, and you know, so so like we're about hundred feet away. He gets on the ice. Our goalie comes out to play it. Drew skates 120 feet full speed and runs the goalie. <laughs> Sticks, pads, jock, friggin' testicles fly everywhere. Okay, <laughs> he's he he just creates a He creates a yard sale, and uh, the goalie gets taken off on a stretcher. Wow. So we ended up winning the game. So after the game, I go, I go, Drew, I want to see you in my office right away. Because I'm not really big on running goalies like purposely, right? I'll, I'll run into a goalie kind of on purpose by accident, you know? Right. But yeah. this was cheating, man. So I pull him in my office, and I'm pissed. I go, what the hell was that? He goes, well, and he's all, I'm yelling at him. He's all calm, right? He goes, well, I was driving the game, to the game with Peter Robertson, and I asked him, you know, who were the tough guys on this team? And he said, well, they don't have any tough guys. None of them will fight. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, but the, the problem is their goalie is so good that we, you know, he plays the puck so well and we can't beat them because of the goaltending. So he, so he goes, so I thought I'd run him and put him out of the game. And I'm like, <laughs> so, so my, my jaw's dropped and I'm, I'm going, well, uh, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't agree with him doing that, but it worked, right? Yeah. So the next game. This goalie wouldn't come out of his net to play the puck anymore. <laughs> and, and so we we faced these guys in the first round, and we go on the in their barn, beat them five two the first night. We lost one nothing in a quadruple overtime game in which we hit several crossbars and goal posts could have won it easily, but they got lucky. We beat them five nothing in game three, and we beat them three one in game uh, in game uh, four, yeah. finished them off. Nice. So I delivered on my promise, but. Drew, I owe Drew Andrew Rogers, yeah. Phil Hulk, Chris Broussard, Todd McIsaac. Oh my God, Todd McIsaac. that guy refused to lose. We were down one nothing after one in the in the deciding game, and he 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 yelled at his teammates in intermission because he didn't think we were playing hard enough. And what he do? He goes, he pulls a Messi. He goes out and scores two goals to make sure we win. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he did, no, no he not only he not only uh you know spoke it but he did it. You know what yeah. I mean? He the guys and then went out. And did it himself, you know mm. that's the kind of guys I had on that team and that was that was the most fun year of hockey I'm serious that I've ever been in whether playing or coaching that was the most fun year I've ever had and it's the best group of guys I ever coached yeah um, by far not taking the thing away from Sean Pete and the guys out there Pete if you're listening, I love you too but but that year you know was was my best year it was the most fun year I ever had coaching it was great
0: well, the next year you certainly earned your money because I counted. You had 58 players played at least one game in 2000, 2001 for Macon. Is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah, that was a that was a terrible year. That's the year where I didn't have the guts to stand up to my owner. Yeah. Um. So I, had, I we we were in first place when this started. Okay. So we're, in, we're we go into Memphis, and um, tough, tough place to play. We split them. I think we won one in we won one in regulation and lost in the shootout. So that put us in first place. Okay. So imagine now I'm I'm it's Monday morning. I have put together a really good team. I'm really happy I'm in first place Monday morning. He my owner my GM comes into me and says I got to get rid of my best player cuz at the time he wasn't producing but keep in mind I told him to keep in mind that this guy was uh retired from hockey. Yeah. His name is Keith Osborne. Okay. He was working at he was working at a blackjack table when I pulled him out of the blackjack room and say, hey, come back and play hockey. Right. So he was just starting to get into shape. Yeah. And he was under a point of game but I said listen by the end of the year this guy's going to be a point of game. You don't have, you don't have to worry about this guy. Mm. And and he was making a lot of money and but I, like I said, I don't care how much money he makes because I'm actually under salary cap yeah. and I'm not even seating. And I put together a team under budget and you're bitching at me. Well, yeah, we're losing money, blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, well, that's not my fault. You told me if I put together a really good team, you could fill the stands. Yeah. So we're in first place. It can't get any better than that. I'm sorry. So the fact that we're not drawn is your fault, not mine. Right. He says, well, you got to get rid of them or else. I said, or else what? He goes, you know what I mean. I like, so now I get scared. I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. I shouldn't have listened to him. I shouldn't have just let him fire me. But um, I, I got this guy. Yeah. Well, the problem is a veteran player, played a little bit in the NHL. Yeah. And a young team, all these young guys see this guy get cut. So guess what? Now, all of a sudden, they're all making sawdust out of their hockey sticks, playing playing tight and scared. Yeah. And we went right to the last place within a month. Uh. And that's where we And then, then, of course, they didn't re-sign me the mm-hmm. next year. Yep. So lesson, you can't listen. You got to do what you think is right, regardless of what your boss says. You got to do what you think is right. And I wish I had done that. I wish I had the, had the courage not to think of myself and my, you know, losing my job. And I just, thought I, I that was a gutless act, uh, play on my part. And it would have, even if I got fired, it would have made it look like an idiot firing a first place coach, right? So I didn't think that far ahead, and it destroyed my team. You know, and, and then we went right down the tubes from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's I'm when
1: I kind of that's when I decided I really didn't want to coach anymore after that coach for one more year. Mm-hmm. And I hated the, um, that side of hockey Yeah, where the owners interfere and, and it's, it's not about coaching and about, you know, I just got sick of uh, the, that, that political struggle Yeah, and decided I didn't want to be a coach anymore. I, I don't want to have to answer to any of these clowns, you know, know, know nothing about the game and, and, uh, and, and put you through that crap. I just didn't, any coach that can handle that, they, I, 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 I bowed out of it, you know, yeah. I, I just can not do it, you know?
0: Well, you've been very generous with your time. I, I'm just going to tell you, I got six more questions for you, then you're free to go. Uh, okay. I want to talk about how the game a lot of times comes full circle. And in your last two years of coaching, you had an old friend there with you in Macon and Greensboro, and that's a guy we spoke about about four hours ago, and that's Ryan Kumu.
1: Yeah, I brought Coombs um, out of retirement from, from Europe. He was playing in Europe, and um you know i needed a confidant someone that i that i could trust and um so he came to macon and um did a great job for us but then he he ended up coming to greensboro and um what happened was i was under a lot of pressure in greensboro so um there was one game where alex godinyuk was my assistant coach and Mm -hmm. and you know the thing is i never wanted people to think that i was playing favorites because ryan was my one of my best friends but 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 I wanted to be very clear and I was clear with him and he understands this. I said, when, when we get to to work, right, you're no longer my best friend. You're just another player. Yeah. Right. And there's expectations. And so, so I kept true to my word. We're, Mm -hmm. we're in uh, a dust of playing a game. And, and Alex came down to me and said, Hey, you know, Graham Ryan's playing horrible, man. He won't listen to me. Yeah. I said, well, and so it's the middle of the game, right? I said, well, then then bench him. Mm -hmm. So he benched him. So after the game, two was pissed because I don't think he's been benched in like 15 years. Yeah. And he says to me, he's all upset, right? And instead of talking about it, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go home. I said, okay, see ya. <laughs> I think he wanted me to try to make him stay. I said, no, go ahead. Take yeah. up. See you later. Yeah. So he ended up leaving. And I, and I didn't say about him or nothing. I was pissed at him. I, I was not going to talk to him ever again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, my wife intervenes, you know, several months later. She says, listen, man, this guy is one of your closest friends. You're going to let that ruin your relationship? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I decided my wife was right, and I'm not yeah. going to let hockey ruin it you know it's, it's just business, and like I said, at the rink, it's business away from the rink we're friends, and so I wasn't being true to my word there right yeah I was holding I was holding it against him, yeah, so I called him up and apologized you know for the way I, I acted and you know, and uh, we just we just decided to put it behind us, and you know we went right back to being good friends again and I uh, I was hanging out with him last year at his house so so that's the thing i mean i I just Again, bringing a, bringing a friend is not always a good idea, but, but uh, it worked out the first year. It just didn't work out the second year, you know, I when I had, to, I had to be his boss and punish him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, how, how did you uh, start Townsend Hockey?
1: It started a long time ago. Um, it, it actually, when I was playing for CDI, um, mm-hmm. Rick, Rick Hayward, Hayward was a real entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so after my first year there, he asked me and Dino to help him do a hockey school. Mm-hmm. And then the next year he left. Right, so Mm -hmm. there was this void. Now I didn't intend to do a hockey school, but my son started playing hockey that year, and um, I'd I'd gotten on the ice to run a practice one day, and the parents liked what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So, so one mother, who's kind of like every every team has has the hockey mom who who, you know is really busy and gets things done. So she asked me to do a hockey school, and I said no. I have no interest in doing a hockey school. And I, said, I told her, I said, I don't, wanna, I don't like dealing with parents, man. You guys, you guys are kind of a pain. And <laughs> I worked for a guy at hockey schools for years, and I saw what he went through with all the parents, and I said, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so um, she kept on bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And then finally I ran into a guy that I'd worked with. Um, he was a student at the hockey school I worked at. Then he became a, he became a junior counselor. Yeah. He was walking out of the rink as I was walking with my son. And, he said, and, and during the conversation he said, you know, you should do a hockey school. So now this is the second person that's told me I should do a hockey school. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do one, but I needed help, right? So I I, I solicited the help of this guy. His name is Ron. Mm-hmm. He knew the cyst that I was teaching because he was a student in it, and then he was also um, uh, a junior counselor. So we 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 bonded. We we formed a a, a, a group together. We called it the uh, GTR Hockey Institute or Power Skating Institute. Mm-hmm. So. GT, meaning Graham Townsend and Ron. Mm -hmm. And so we started that, and it was a huge success. And then Ron decided to go on his own, which kind of really pissed me off, to be honest with you, because we built the market. And then once it got built, he said, I'm doing it on my own. So he went on his own, Mm -hmm. and I I formed the Graham Townsend Professional Hockey School, so GTP. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I got into coaching, I had no time to do it anymore, so I, 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 I closed the school down. And then when I got the job with San Jose, um, a friend of mine, a guy who became a friend of mine, wanted me to work with his son. He found out that I was the San Jose Sharks skating coach was living in Maine. Mm-hmm. And this guy's from Maine. He he, he hired me to, to work with this kid and encouraged me to do a hockey school. So I, I did a hockey school called um, Graham Townsend's National Hockey Development. Mm-hmm. And then that went under because it was a partnership, and our partnership was dissolved. So then I decided to start Townsend Hockey back in 2008. Okay. So... We've been we've been towns in hockey since 2008, and then we just kind of evolved into a boarding camp, and you know we do day camps and clinics all over the country and stuff like that, and so that's kind of how it started. i been doing a hockey school business now since I think it was like 1992, maybe yeah, 94, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Um, 2006, you're inducted into the Canadian Black Hockey Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's quite an honor. I mean, honestly, you look at the people in there. I mean, these are guys I looked up to my whole life. Um, Ray Neufeld, um, you know, Willie O'Ree, of course, Herb Carnegie, you know, so the Mike Mars and Tony McKenzie. So it was, it was a great honor to, to, to receive that distinction. You know, I've never been in a Hall of Fame of anywhere, so it's kind of neat to, to, that, they, that they thought of me and, and included me into the inaugural
0: um, group of, of people. So, yeah, I'm very, very proud of that that's great I didn't know it was the inaugural class that's even better
1: yeah it was yeah it was and um so yeah Anson Carter was in that group as well yeah so yeah it was quite an honor to be included in that group
0: well I was hoping you were the best skater in the group but then you mentioned Anson's name so I know you're a great <laughs> skater but that guy has wheels Jeez.
1: yeah I, I can't I can't I can't hold that guy's strap, man
0: <laughs> yeah I just remember the first time I saw him play live I think he was in Portland that I couldn't be- I mean this guy skated like the wind
1: yeah yeah he was he was a great he had tremendous skill too obviously oh yeah so yeah he was a great player
0: um 2014 you were named the head coach of the jamaican men's national hockey team uh (laughs) what is the status of that right now
1: okay so i i left that that first group it's called the uh, jamaican olympic ice hockey federation i left that group and the reason i did was um I just didn't see any forward movement. Again, like anything that we did, we, we we had a we had a game in Halifax against the Halifax uh, All Stars, which was a bunch of guys from um, uh, the Quebec Major League and all that stuff. We had kids from the OHL and Tier Two hockey, so we went up there and played a game. It was televised regionally. It was a great event, and um, I wanted to take it. I wanted to take advantage of that momentum, and the group was just slow and moving right. and... And so there's a lot of philosophical differences that we have. My, my main focus is I want to serve the youth of Jamaica. I want to give kids an opportunity to play the game and eventually come to the U.S., attend prep schools and then attend college and on scholarships, do athletics, and then go back to Jamaica and, and make their mark. You know what I mean? That's my goal. Yeah. Um, to get to the Olympics, it's going to probably take 50 years or more. Honestly, mm-hmm. realistically, it's going to take that long to get there, okay, mm-hmm. I won't be alive when that, happens, when that happens, so I'm not focusing on the Olympics, they are, yeah. they don't understand it, they really believe that they're going to get there in their lifetime, and you know, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't see it, and the reason I don't see it is because you have to have a rink built first, mm-hmm. you have to start a youth hockey program, which you can build up a really good youth hockey um, program, and I, I, probably in 10 years, and have some really good players players that are good enough to play in the NHL one day, you probably do it in 15 years. Like like I look at Dallas. I remember when hockey in Houston started, and, and then Dallas and people down there were saying, hey, one day you're going to see an NHL player from here. And, and I think it took about 20 years before you saw the first. I think that guy was a guy's name from L.A. Kings, who um, scored the winning goal against the Rangers years ago. Oh. Um, Martinez.
0: Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. think he's from Dallas. I think he was one of the first guys
1: to make it, right? So. So you look at that. When did they win that cup? I think I just won a pool for what eight years, maybe. About yeah, I would say so. So, so let's just say he makes it to the NHL in 2012. Uh, when I was in Houston, in the let's say, let's just say he started playing it. The state it took him probably ten. It took about ten years for them to develop their first NHL player. Maybe mm-hmm. twelve years. Yeah. So that's down tons of money. Yeah. Right. Jamaica, we're gonna if if we get a rink, I let's say we can do it in ten years. Mm. Right. So when the rink is built, we're looking at within the next five to ten years we'll have a rink, right? So we're talking twenty thirty, right? Then once the rink is built, you have to have a youth hockey program. Then you have to get approved by the IH, you have to become a full member, mm-hmm. and at that point in time you can start playing in uh, international tournaments. But well, we have to start up in Division Three and work our way up to build three three uh, B three A two B two A one B one A, and then finally the championship division, mm-hmm. which is Canada, the Russians, and the U.S. No, so you have to win the championships at every single level first. Then you have to get into the championship division and in, in hope that you stick around long enough during an Olympic year. Or before, you know what I mean. So yeah. So what happened? Like Great Britain was in Great Britain um, won a gold medal back in like 1936, but they are all Canadian guys on their team. Right. And they had not been in the Olympics since. Well, they just get to, they finally get to division the top division this year. So if, if so, let's just say what's the next Olympic games uh, 2002, I think. So they'd, they'd have to finish in the top 12 to t- 2020, 2021. If they were able to accomplish that, then they'd be in 2022 Olympics. Yeah. That's taken Great Britain. You know, <laughs> they've been at WHF for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. So what makes them think they're going to get there in the next 20? So I'm thinking, let's help the kids. So that's why I left and then we formed a new group um, that's more focused on grassroots. and and more focused on on the plan that I just I just described mm-hmm. and um, and we're all hockey guys and the other group would have no hockey people in it whatsoever yeah and there's um, a couple of parents and their kid and so we formed a group of some rugged like, like uh, Matt Sherris uh member's his, his brother um Jay Jay, yeah, Matt Shiggers, and Jay is going to run our fishing, fishing department. Yeah, we got Matt Schippers who play professionally. We got all hockey guys. Yeah, you know that understand the game and, and understand business. So that's why we've, we all we, we were all involved with the other group before too. We all we all just left. So that's what's going on there now. I'm not the coach. I'm I'm a director, and I'll probably be the coaching director. And C.J. Ballers will be the head coach. I may I may go on the bench and help
0: him as an assistant, but I'm not going to be the head coach anymore. I got you. Um, I'm both development stuff i got you um so like we talked about how the game has changed and everything and whenever i see a young kid that plays the way that i like the way the game is played i always take notice and nowadays they stand out more because the game to me is so vanilla and when you get a kid that plays that spices it up a little bit like you say they stand out and one kid that caught my eye a couple of seasons ago is a kid from jamaica named jermaine lowen is he someone that you're going to keep an eye on absolutely i I gotta tell you man.
1: I, i That, that, that kid, Mark Edwards, he's going to play in the NHL, okay? Mm-hmm. Everywhere he's gone, he's faced all these challenges, right? He's always been at the bottom of the pile. And then he, he, he's finally emerged and, and rise to the top. He's always done it everywhere he's gone. So, yeah, he's a kid that uh, was in an orphanage in Jamaica. And a family from, a couple from Manitoba went down to be like, be like kind of missionaries and help out at the orphanage. And they saw him yeah, and fell in love with Jermaine. So they brought him to Canada. And he, I think he started playing hockey around 10, which is the same age I started playing. Yeah. I organized hockey. Mm-hmm. And he worked his way up. He got drafted by the Kamloops Cam Blazers. Yeah. Went on to become the captain and had a great career there. First Jamaican-born player drafted in, in the NHL. The Dallas Stars drafted him. Yeah. And he's now, he's played a little bit for the Rockford Ice Hogs, which is mm-hmm. Chicago's team. But he, and he's, he's up and down between the American League and the, and the East Coast League. Yeah. So once this kid learns the game, mm-hmm. the pro game, the next step is a full time American League spot, and then once he gets there, he'll he'll learn that game and he'll be in the NHL. So, yeah. so he'll be the he'll be the second Jamaican born player in the NHL, and I can't wait for that to happen. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. No. I, like I said, I enjoy watching this kid play. He's a hard worker. He's not afraid to scrap, and he's got some skill too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it also. So I figured I figured he was on your radar, but uh, you know why not give the kid a plug anyway, right? Absolutely, you know.
1: Mark, mark my words. Jermaine Lowen will play in the National Hockey League. I, I read an article about him years ago. My sister sent it to me because it was a Canadian newspaper, and I, I reached out to to the um to the journalist, and uh, he connected me with the family. So I've been in touch with the family on and off for the past probably five or six years.
0: That's excellent. So yeah, um, you know, we've spoken now. We've hit the four hour mark, which is unbelievable to me. Thank you. But uh, the big news that I'm I'm happy to say here. Uh, that you've decided to write a book and and if and if you people have found this interview interesting I can't even imagine how great the book is going to be I'm really looking forward to it uh, what made you decide to write a book
1: well all that's going on now in the world um, especially in hockey it's a little bit about what I talked about before and so um, the whole thing with Akeem Alou last year um, made me really think and so I started thinking about my, my coach and, and I, I actually know Bill Peters mm-hmm. and the one thing is, um, although I do, I do, would, I would like to see, um, like, like so, so what I did is I, I first looked up the word racism, okay? Because it's being used a lot, right? It's thrown around a lot. And I decided to look up what does it actually mean, okay? Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing now, but basically it means a, a person who feels, who thinks that their race is superior to another race and therefore treats the other race accordingly. You understand? So, like... Yeah. So like you, you you have to so to be a racist you have to think that you are you're racist superior. I don't believe that when a guy calls me the n-word in a hockey game. I really don't believe that he thinks he's superior to me. He might, right. but I don't think he does. Okay, mm-hmm. I think he's just pissed off and he's being a, he's being a jerk. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. so that's one thing. And I know and I know Bill. Okay, I'm yeah. say what you want about him. I can, only, I can only respond based on how he treated me okay, mm-hmm. and, um, and how the hockey – and I understand how the hockey world works. I don't believe it's a systemic issue. Right. I'll get on to – I think about it all later in a second. But, but Bill Peters has always been good to me. He ran a youth hockey program in San Antonio, Texas, and he could have picked any skating coach or, or, or hockey school guy to come and work with his kids, but he chose me. And we worked together closely for about two years, and then finally he went back to Canada. Um, started his coaching career with Mike Babcock, mm-hmm. and so I do believe he said what he said in the locker room 100%. I believe he was a complete jerk for saying it. And in fact, if he said it to me, it wouldn't have been a nice conversation. It would have been uh, it would have been an aggressive situation. Yeah. Um, I don't believe for one split second, unless he, someone can show me proof, I don't believe that he called the Blackhawks and said get rid of this guy because I know how hockey works. Um, if you're an asset to a team, and I can prove, I, I mean, Josh Hosang is a great example. The Islanders are bent over backwards. I don't know if you know this, but they, they, they brought me in to mentor him. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. They came, uh, John Ledecky came to me and asked me to work with the kid because they really wanted to see him succeed. See, yeah. people don't know that. People don't know that. They went out of their way. I went and met with Josh many times, had dinner with him, tried to get to know him and tried to get you know, figure out what, what makes him tick. The Islanders did that. You know? Yeah, I mean, know yeah, that for any any other player, but they did. And I worked with with Eric Cairns, and we're trying to work with you know Nate Thompson trying to get this kid. Um, um that, that's not Nate Thompson. What's the coach's
0: name? And Brent, Brent Thompson. Brent. Sorry,
1: Brent's son. Yep. So Brent Thompson, we we uh, you know Matt Carkner, I used to work with him in San Jose, and yep, we all thought that we all worked so hard to help Josh become successful. So he's not being treated because the way he's being treated because he's black, he's being treated the way he is because of the results or lack thereof. You understand what I'm saying? Like, he can't blame color for this. Right. Because I know they tried everything they could. I'm not trying to, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't hired by the, I, I volunteered to do it. It wasn't like I was hired by them either. I'm not being paid by the others. By I did it because I wanted to help the kid. Right. So I don't believe that they just got rid of the guy because Bill Peters said to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, they're not going to listen to their American League coach. Honestly, it's going to be like, shut up and work with the kid and figure it out. That's how these teams talk to their coaches. So so then he went to another I've been sent down, down, down and, and like everybody else. I know it wasn't the kind of guy that was wrong. You talk on the team that they all say good things about me, don't they? Right? They all they all, they all, they all, got my back. They all, if, they, if there was this major racist, of, race of history in hockey, why would all those guys say other things about me? You know? Like yeah. not
0: Wait, hey, hey, Graham, hold on a second, because you're yep. you you got all glitched out here. Okay. Oh, now I can hear you're perfect.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't believe that there's a systemic racial issue in hockey. I do believe there's there's race there's racist comments being made, but I don't believe the game of hockey is racist. I don't believe it's being run by racists. I mm-hmm. think that society has a problem, yeah. um, intolerant of other other people that are different than than you, and yeah. that's the problem. So. So that's why I decided to write the book. I want, I wanna, I wanna, I want the other side of the issue um, to be expressed. And yeah. and there's a lot of other black athletes that think the same way I do. I, mm-hmm. I talked to Ray Newfeld about this, and he yeah. feels the same way I do. Yeah. You know, I, I feel I, I want to stand up for the game of hockey. I want to protect the game because it's, it's a great game. It's done tremendous things for my life and tremendous things for a lot of other black players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I just don't, I don't believe that there's a problem in hockey. There are more black players or people of color in hockey now than there ever was. Mm-hmm. Way more. Yeah. I think when I played, you could literally count the number of um, people of color on one hand. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. And now, you know, there, I don't know, there's probably 30 or 40 guys in the league now. So how, yeah. how can you say that it's a racist league? If it was a racist league, they would not allow black players to play. Hockey was racist mm-hmm. back in the, you know in the in the Willie O'Ree days yeah. where they literally could not let a black guy play because they didn't think we were intelligent enough or you know, whatever to play the game. Yeah. And they, you know, that was definitely a problem and even in the 70s when Mike Mars and 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 Bill Roddy played, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they were they were given a lot of grief from the opposing players, but I don't think that that problem is still there today the mm-hmm. way the way it was back in the 70s and maybe even in the early 80s or so but it certainly isn't, isn't, uh, and I, and I, and I didn't, I had very isolated issues in my career mm-hmm. and I know it was because the guys were racist as they were pissed off at because maybe yeah. I, was, I was hard on them. they were hard on me. And that's the best way to get me mad and hurt my feelings is to call me a name, you know? Yeah. <laughs> call yeah. Me a jerk and make me feel bad. If you call me that, it's going to hurt my feelings pretty, you know, and that's what they were trying to do. Hurt my feelings <laughs> and, and it worked because I let it work, mm-hmm. you know? So that's why I want to write the book and I want, I want to, I want to I want to you know kind of kind of demonstrate how my life has prepared me to think this way and prepared and how my experiences have prepared me to to see it the way I do. I'm not coming down on Akim and all those guys. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not um, they have a right to their opinion mm-hmm. and but but I don't think that um you know that they should be demanding that the NHL do this and that. The NHL is trying to is trying to address the issue. They hired Kim Davis and the whole department dedicated to this. It's not just it's not just an act. They're really trying to, to make the game better for everybody. I don't believe it just, it's just, it's just um, you know, um, I don't believe it's, it, I believe it's, it's truly sincere, you know, what yeah. that, 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 that they do. So,
0: Well, listen, I am really excited for this, to be honest with you. This is, uh, I think the book's going to be, I think you're going to get a lot of attention. From the uh, from both sides here, people that agree with you, people that disagree with you, I know you're going to withstand anything. And I mean, I'm the little mom and pop podcast compared to some of the bigger guys, but I am more than happy to to help you out any way I can. Uh, promote the book, help you with anything if uh, if you need my help. You know, you got my number. Just reach out to me. I am really really excited for this project. I, I and I'll help you promote it in any way I can. Um, the last thing I ask every one of my guests is is there anything that I forgot about the, the career of Graham Townsend the uh, uh, hockey journey of Graham Townsend that I forgot to ask that you'd like to say?
1: No, just uh, actually just that um, I, I appreciated the opportunity to play the game that I love and, and make a living from it. Um, I, I, um, I think, I think the thing I miss the most out of hockey is the, the, uh, the, the relationships with my teammates and, yeah. and the camaraderie. I mean, that's, that's the thing I miss the most, but, but, um, you know, outside of that, I just, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to play the game. And I'm really grateful that I have the chance to talk to you about, about it, that, that people even care. You know, that, that's a special thing. And honestly, it's like, you know, you, don't, you, don't, you can't take that lightly. The fact that people even care to, to hear about you, um, it, it, it's, really, it's really touching and means a lot to me. So, so that's why I just want to express my gratitude to all those who are listening and all those who supported me over the years, teammates, coaches, fans, uh, certainly my family. And, um, I wouldn't be where I am today without all you people, even, even, even some of the negative stuff that happened, it, it just made me who I am today. And, um, and for anything negative that happened in the past, um, please forgive me and I forgive you. And, uh, that's pretty much it. Dude, this was
0: absolutely incredible. Um, I, I am so thrilled to, to finally get you on here. It was worth the wait. And, uh, other than that, I will just say, uh, dude, thank you so much for all this time and uh keep in touch and have a great day right thank you very much i appreciate it you too thanks graham talk to you later
1: all right bye bye bye
0: thanks again to graham townsend that was an unbelievable chat uh, I've said it, that this may be the most important interview I've ever done, uh, more so for the off the ice stuff. Um, it's a lot of shit going on in the world right now. And, uh, to get someone's perspective, like Graham, who's been through a lot of shit in his career and in his life, uh, means a lot to get that voice out there. And, um, from my point of view, Graham gets it. Like he, I, I he just really gets it. Uh, The way that he's handled himself, the way that he's handled these particular incidents, the way that he wants them handled, the way that he doesn't feel that outside forces need to get involved, that he just wants to handle like a man, to me that means a lot. And uh, man, oh man, this was uh, was a good one for me, and I hope that you people enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, Going forward this week, uh, coming up, uh, it will be another Seasons episode. I haven't decided yet who I'm going to feature uh but i have a few interviews coming down the pike one that i'm uh really hopeful for i'm going to uh try to do some advanced technology and you know that really probably advanced should be in quotes because i don't think it's very advanced it's probably very simple but for me it's advanced uh try to do something a little different and then, uh, another guest that I've been, uh, speaking to over the last few months, uh, said that this time of year might be best for him. So I could have some, uh, some good ones coming down the pike for you. I hope so. Hope everything comes to fruition. And, um, other than that, just stay tuned. Uh, next week I'll have a seasons episode for you. And, uh, if there's any suggestions, uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter and let me know. And if it's possible, uh, I'll try to make it happen. Have a great week, everybody.